You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Hi everyone. Before we get to the second installment for The Mysterious Mr. Quinn, we have a special episode with a guest star, our mom. Please enjoy. All right. Well, welcome again, everybody, to Poirot Pod. Poirot Pod! Uh, <laughs> we have a um, special guest today. Special guest star! <laughs> our mother, Pamela, <laughs> is here to discuss tonight's book, The 13 Problems, or The Tuesday Night Club Murders. Hello. It's funny, which is one of those ones that was it was it published in their different names, like in the states and in England. I think so. And it's like I don't see why one would appeal to a U.S. audience more than another, but sure, yeah. maybe it's just the difference of like the publisher and you know their opinions. Yeah, the one that I have that I got in the '80s, which is falling apart because I like to reread this one a lot. Um, it was called the Tuesday Night Club, but you look it up now. You only find it under the 13 problems, right? Right. Well, and this must have been published with British writing because the, there's S's instead of Z's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, it's we don't know why. So, this is a collection of stories with Miss Marple. And what year was it published, Portia? Published in 32, but the first story... Uh, which is the first story featuring Miss Marple ever was published in a magazine in 27. So over those five years, she wrote the 13 stories and then, and in the meantime, she did the one Miss Marple novel. Right. And then all of these stories. are So these are as apart from the first Miss Marple novel, this, these are the ways that we got to establish who Miss Marple is to us. Right. Which is so funny that we've already done so many episodes and we're just now getting into the meat of Miss Marple. Right, right, right. So, um, all right. So, should we mention some of the themes beforehand because it is a compilation? Sure. Because, I, you know, the, the idea that everybody, in all of the stories, except for the last one, people are bringing real-life mysteries to a dinner party. And being like, hey, let's talk about a mystery at a dinner party and see if anybody can solve them. And the first six, they even, uh, one of the guests says, oh, we have an artist, we have a writer, we have a lawyer, we have a clergyman, and we have a cop or an ex-policeman. We have everybody here and we could totally solve these mysteries because we have all these different people. And then Miss Marple says, you forgot me. Well, I think somebody else said does she assert herself or does somebody no, else she says you forgot me dear oh, okay. okay yeah you're right and they're like oh we didn't think you'd even want to participate right she's like they, yeah i'm gonna about to own this you guys don't even know exactly right so the first one so yeah so they, they decide that they're gonna all bring introduce a story that 
they uh, that has a twist to it or is a mystery that can be solved and that you know the the person who's telling it knows the solution to most of the time. Um, and one of the people that's there at dinner is Sir Henry, so and so, Clithering, I think, who um, is the former chief inspector of Scotland Yard. So like, they have a real authority at the table for all of these. Right, right, right. So he and he's what did his the first one was his story. Right, but he was kind of talked into it because people were like, "You must know all these unsolved mysteries." Um, but kind of the rule of the game that they set up was. It has to be an unsolved mystery that you know the solution. They guess what the solution is, and then they'll tell you the real answer. Right. And so, so he told the first one, and yeah. So the first one was a fairly simple story where um, a woman died after three people ate dinner. Everybody got food poisoning, and somebody died. So it was her, her husband, and her companion. But then... Did you know that lobster came in cans? I did not know that. I did not know that lobster came in cans. I mean, we can a lot of fishes. Makes sense, you know. I know, but I just didn't know that. That was yeah. cool to know. Um, so, yeah, so the three people were a husband and wife and a companion, which Amanda and I have never heard of companions, paid companions. <laughs> Before reading Agatha Christie, and then we're like, oh my gosh, what is this? what? Everybody has a companion. <laughs> a paid companion. And yeah. and so, so they all had the dinner, they all had the lobster, and they all got ill, but only the wife died. But the husband had been at a hotel and had written on a pad, and the maid from that room had played around with the blotting pad that he used and was able to like see some clips of words that included like depended on my wife for money After she is dead. when she's dead and then hundreds and thousands and so the, right. the and then the weird hundreds and thousands yeah so so the maid right. that right. to be um that clearly he killed his wife for money and so that got the body zoomed and there was arsenic in her system arsenic yeah um right. and so um but they but the the thing was they couldn't figure out how he could have poisoned her there was all these different ways because the lobster everybody ate the he gave her some what was it paste soup or something weird like that corn flour, corn flour yeah. soup. <laughs> what is corn flour well soup we know what corn flour is but what is corn flour soup uh, yeah i don't know I guess it's the thing, yeah. but you know they they were giving it to the wife because she had an upset stomach. But then she was like, "I don't really want it because I don't feel good." And so the companion drank it instead because she was banting, which I had to read between the lines means dieting. But I, I looked it up, and it's fascinating. It's an early iteration of a low carb diet. It's not just any diet. It was specifically low carb, low sugar. Oh. It's funny because it's so oh, popular dear. now, and so that's why the the solution to the story. Which was super smart. So the solution is that hundreds and thousands referred to those tiny little pink and white candies that you sprinkle on top of desserts because they had had trifle for dessert. And so they literally put the poison in the hundreds and thousands. Um, and so that was him writing to the maid of the house that he had 
been sleeping with and that was their plan to kill the wife. Um, and because the companion was banting, meaning no sugar, no sweets, that that's why she didn't have it. So it wasn't just dieting because like dieting, she might have had a small piece, but she was all keto or whatever. And so. Oh, uh, that's good to know. Yeah, that was interesting. But here's my question. Now, I, I my, my question about the logistics of it are, I think it was arsenic, wasn't like you don't just have some arsenic and then kind of have a stomach ache and they bring you some corn flour soup and then you die later. Don't you just die right away? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been arsenic. <laughs> well, and also they do this thing with arsenic on some of the stories where you feed somebody a little bit, you feed yourself a little bit every day. And then you give yourself and the person you want to kill a big dose in the same thing. So it looks like he was trying to kill you or she was trying to kill you, but you've built up a resistance to it. So I don't know how it works either. Yeah. So that was my thing. Like, the fact that she going. had time to like have a tummy ache after dinner and then die later, you know, like it just, I, I was just surprised. It must've been slow acting enough, whatever poison it was, but it was a smart solution. And it was, so everyone assumed that the hundreds and thousands was about money but the hundreds and thousands was literally the ingredient. And I thought about that. That was actually clever wording because you would probably say hundreds of thousands. Versus right. And thousands. and thousands. Yeah. I never knew those little things had a name. There's a lot of obscure phrases like oh. banting in this book. There's a lot of things that I had to more than a lot of her other books where I was like, what's banting? What's hundreds and thousands? What's exactly. corn flour? And right. that's just the first story. Right. What's like clock golf, for example. <laughs> right. Like there's a bunch of stuff in there. Um, Th does she it? have does she have a reputation, Agatha Christie, for knowing her poisons, for knowing about these things, or is it just like us? We just kind of read it. Oh, arsenic. Yes, I guess that kills, kills people. And then Amanda's saying, does it kill you after a while or right away? I don't know. I Good don't question. know because. I don't, you know, know if amongst, you know, real detectives, do they be like, oh, you get all the details wrong or right. not? And I haven't, as part of research for this, I have not researched my poisons because <laughs> I don't want to get red flagged on the internet, you know, like just not a good look. <laughs> right, right. Well, especially since these are all fictional murders, it doesn't really right. matter. Right. Know? But the point um, is the Miss Marvel part of that is that, so um, Sir Henry tells a story and they kind of each go around and it's like, oh, I think it was this. I think it was that. La, da, da. And then Miss Marvel's not even paying attention. She's knitting or crocheting. Knitting. knitting. I think it was knitting. And she's like counting her stitches and like, what was that? Huh? Oh, obviously. <laughs> and then she just kind of says it <laughs> offhand. And just, oh, it's right. it a hundred and thousands. And, and she was the only one that realized that the husband was sleeping with the maid. And he, that was the first village parallel thing where he, he was like, she was like a guy like that with a young girl in the house, there's always going to be some trouble. And it was actually terrible because the reason that Sir Henry knew the solution was because he then, you know, she had a baby and which died and he died. left her and then had moved on to some other woman. But when the woman died, um, she wrote a confession because it was sitting on her soul. So that's why Mr. Henry or Sir Henry knew the solution. So, but Ms. Marple, kind of showed everybody up and her son Raymond West who we met in the last novel or in the novel that we read had definitely underestimated her like oh Aunt Jane you don't know anything 
Exactly. Nephew, not son, but right. yeah, yeah. Well, I, that brings me, I wanted to read something. Um, this is at the beginning of the story where um, he is um, very pompously saying, the art of writing gives one an insight into human nature. One sees perhaps the motives that the ordinary person would pass by. And Miss Marple says, I know, dear, that your books are very clever, but do you think that people are really so unpleasant as you make them out to be? My dear aunt, he says gently, keep your beliefs. Heaven forbid that I should in any way shatter them. Right. I mean, said Miss Marple, that so many people seem to me not to be either bad or good, but simply, you know, very silly. I just thought that was great. It kind of sums and then, up. And just like, yeah, and then like she could have twist that on him very quickly in the thing because he's like how did you realize that and she's like oh my dear nephew when you're older and you have more experience you'll understand more of the world because he comes at her like that and then she's not really doing it to be shady like that but but she does she sort of was like oh well you're just you're simple and, and you don't see the evil in people and so she she reverses that on him yeah it's really fun Pe banter between them and later and i can't remember which of the one from the first six um, there was some kind of phrase and he goes, says something and Miss Marple turns to him and said, didn't you say something like that in your last book? Yes. And, and he's annoyed to have his book quoted back to him yeah. by yeah. her. So anyway, we didn't, the rest of the characters aren't as important, but there's a woman artist, Joyce. Um, and then there's, as we said, Sir Henry, but there's also a clergyman Dr. Pender. and and then, um, and then uh, the who a lawyer, yeah, yeah. yeah. Later so the, on, there's um, the movie, the the actress. Right, she's that's at a dinner second party. Six. She's at a different dinner party. Yeah, right. we can go. Yeah, so let's we can talk. But anyway, so each there's also an interesting way because each story is told slightly differently um, when they tell their story. So the first one was told by the former. Um, head of Scotland Yard, but the second one was told by um, the clergyman. Right. Dr. Pender. And Dr. Pender, and his story is super mystical, even though um, it's, uh, even though he's a clergyman and he might not necessarily believe in mysticism, he's, it's definitely mystical. Right. I don't know So he introduces it, it by right. saying that he now after this story occurred he believes in when people think that there's a bad atmosphere in a place and he was at he was with friends and they went to this grove which was called the silent grove and it was supposed to be the former place of a temple to astarte the goddess also known as ishtar which of course there was a really really bad movie in the <laughs> 80s about called Ishtar, and so I'm not thinking of an ancient god. I'm thinking, wasn't there a bad movie starring? <laughs> really, Hoffman I don't know that one. <laughs> yeah, Jude is one of the worst movies of all time. Right. So I was like, when I at first when they were like Ishtar, I was like, well, that's not creepy at all. But yeah. Um, so they all their his friends are really into this like. Astarte former temple place thing and the mysticism of it and he's kind of going along with them it's clearly when he was younger and he was he, he was in the clergy at the time but so they keep asking him like 
does this weird you out person? And he's just like, well, it's not great, but I'm here with you guys, right? So that evening, they all get into fancy dress. Oh, and they have, there's a wonderful phrase, secret sewing has occurred. Right. <laughs> right. I love that. And then when they say fancy dress, they mean costume. That's right. one thing. There's probably, ter- there's, I know, there's terrible things about this era, but they had so many costume parties. I want to live in fancy dress times. It really, I don't. You were always so having fancy party. dress parties. And I was like, I want to go to fancy dress all the time. It's like, it's just a costume era. They can also do them, they can also do them right on the spot. They right, they just think of it and they put together costumes, and that's what you did. There, like was some, there were some area rugs that disappeared. <laughs> right, they were just like, how do I make a costume at this dinner party? I mean, at this, this is one of those overnight parties at somebody's house. Right. But then they had built a little cabin, I guess, in the middle of the grove. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the main, the main... Someone had. Yeah. Beforehand. So the main, the story was, there was a bunch of people, but it has uh, two brothers... And they were both really, Cousins. really into this. Cousins. Cousins? cousins. Oh, they were cousins. Okay. Cousins. And they were both really into um, this beautiful actress who was there who kept flirting with everybody. And then they have this, you know, fancy dress party, or as we would call it, a costume party. And they can't find the actress and so they go down to the uh, grove, to the sp- cabin. Cabin's not the right word, but it was a small house. And then she's like glowing and stuff. And she's like, I am the goddess of Astarte. And then the, was it the guy who owned the house? I can't remember. I'm mixing up the cousins. Okay, so Richard is the dude. I guy. So Richard is the friend of the main character. So Dr. Pender is is our clergyman at the party. He's friend with Richard. And so that's why he's there. And so he's watching the fact that his friend is really into Diana and she's hot and cold with him. And then so when she gets possessed or whatever with the goddess Astarte and she's like, I am, you know, I can, I can picture it from like uh, uh, Ghostbusters, you know, <laughs> she's like, practically glowing and like i am that is a start day and she's like don't come any closer or i'll smite you and then he comes closer and he's just like oh this is so fun you're being fun right now but it's kind of creepy and then she smites him and he dies and then right and then he dies somehow and uh he's been stabbed right and so it's weird because he never got close to her he never got within three feet of her i think they said and so, yeah. or even closer than that. So she couldn't have stabbed him, but and but she couldn't really smite him with an invisible knife, unless unless it was really okay. mysticism, mysticism death. And then he, I thought it was really interesting because it was clearly saying that this must have been so long ago. They had no telephone, but also they carried the body up to the house. Right. And then he said, oh, I know we've all read detective fiction now. We would never do that. We would leave the body where it's supposed to lay. But we didn't know any better because this was before. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, because when would that have been? Because Sherlock Holmes books got popular in the 1860s. So when was so long ago before 1930s that you didn't know you're not supposed to or touch anything? Good question. You know, I always wondered, like, when is this supposed to be? You know, yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Right. Anyway, and then the next day, the cousin 
is found with a wound where he's been stabbed in the shoulder. Right. So he went out to search for the murder weapon because it was all mysterious. They couldn't find a murder weapon. So he's like, I can't stand this. I must solve this my cousin's death. And so he goes out to look for the murder weapon and they find him the next morning also stabbed in the same spot. And then, yeah, but not dying, but not dying. Stabbed right. In the shoulder this time. Yeah. And then, then, you know, everybody has to try to figure out the mystery. And once again, Miss Marple figures it out. Did you notice how we turned the body over? <laughs> right. That the cousin right. was and it, and it had to do with his costume. And dressed. the weird thing was, so it turns out is that, so Diana didn't smite him. He, or smote, as it were. Um, <laughs> like, he basically tripped and fell down. And, and then when his cousin went up to him to be like, hey, dude, are you okay? He was dressed as a something. Brigand chief. Yes. Which is uh, basically a stereotypical um, old-fashioned uh, warrior with a bunch of weapons. Right. Right. Attached to it. So he went down to check on him. And I, I don't know if he hit his head when he fell and tripped or if he just... It's weird because like you, you would have thought that like he's just like, oh, my bad. I, I fell. But somehow right. he was like out on the ground. And so his cousin went to check on him and just on the spur of the moment decides to dagger him and kills right. him right through the heart with no sound. And then because he had all this costume on with all these different daggers on it and stuff, it, it didn't look weird. Right. And the reason he that Miss Marple figured that out is because she, when she, in her youth, she had danced with someone dressed as that who had a whole bunch of daggers and stuff. And it was uncomfortable to dance with them because they had all these things on them. <laughs> and yeah, basically exactly. they both love Diana. And so he was like, Oh, if I stab him, I'll get the title and, you know, the money in the house, and then she'll love me. But I don't think she did. Right, right. And, and, and then, oh yeah, so he had stabbed himself to put off suspicion of that, himself. That's part of Miss Marple's brilliance, she says. So he's right-handed, he stabbed, and the, left, the wound was in the left shoulder. So clearly he did that to himself to cover up. And, you know, uh, she also poo-poos all of the stuff about atmosphere that Dr. Pender was like, oh, no, no, this was evil. There was definitely, and she's like, well, if you get rid of all of that stuff, he fell down and then his cousin went up and he was stabbed. So his cousin did it. And it was um, dark outside so that he'd get away with like stabbing him in front of everybody because it was really dark out. And Right, right. Well, I wanted to say two things about atmosphere. Um. I love the way that this double negative came out. This is uh, when they were talking about the atmosphere of the Grove. Uh, the parson says, I am not sure that as a parson, I ought not to believe in it, which I thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And then as I was reading this story, I thought um, about going to Chichen Itza. I walked up these really um, <coughs> monumental stairs to the top. And I thought it was going to be cool. And it was chilling to be there. And I thought when they were describing this grove, I thought I have been in a place that I thought, oh, I can't run out of here. I got to walk down these stairs very carefully. But I don't, I don't think good things happened here. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that, yeah. So even though he is a uh, Christian 
I'm guessing Church of England right. dude. Um, yeah, why wouldn't he believe that there were that that place had an evil atmosphere? But it's interesting because the solution to the mystery is nothing to do with that. Let's discount that. Although, you know, maybe the evil atmosphere made him say, you know, it's a good idea. I should just stab my cousin right now. (laughs) Right. Because it was so on the spur of the moment. Right. Right. And this is another one that the solution came out because someone confessed. So that cousin, the woman didn't love him and he always felt bad. And so he decided to like go off snow adventuring and never come back. And he sent this letter as a confession to dr pender yeah yeah that's such a good point that another theme is this that if you do a bad thing it'll get you you won't be able to live with it right right yeah yeah and that and you're right that's also, the thing that Ms. marple brings up a lot is that you know karmically it comes back to you even if you're never punished and then when you mentioned um she looks up and says well here's what happened she's able to find the threads and look at it without the extraordinary stuff going on in this case and in others. Mm-hmm. And even if, if we ignore the parallels that she found in St. Mary Mead, she's able to see, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. oh yeah, I see what happened. Yeah. And this is, we haven't, we didn't, we said this before we started recording, but this idea that for every story that she hears she relates it to a parallel that happened inside her small town of saint mary mead that's her that's her mo of solving crimes which is different from poirot or other detectives that agatha christie writes um but it's always like oh this is like this Mm -hmm. and that's her way of doing that um so yeah i i just realized we didn't say that yet you're right, but the that's her. That's why she's so good at this is because she's studied village life, and she always says, "Oh, that reminds me of so and so," or when this right. happened. And I don't remember what the parallel was with this one. Well, yeah, or if it's just the, the you know, obviously two men competing over a woman. Right. Right. You know. So. And then the next one is okay, really so funny. Next- yeah. Because it's her nephew telling the story. And he tells it like it's still not solved. He doesn't know the answer, but he thought it was such an interesting one. He brings it up anyway, even though it doesn't fit the the rules that he's supposed to know the solution. Right. Yeah. And so uh, he goes to travel to the coast of Cornwall. And um, which if we had ever actually gone to England, you and I, we would be have some idea where Cornwall is. Because it clearly (laughs) has character. Cornishmen like talk about this and I also know it because people have talked about Cornish pastries on the British baking show <laughs> but I still don't really know what it means right so, and he's he's recently met a guy about- named John Newman who is a adventurer who is looking for lost galleons of gold um, off this coast where this place is apparently according to the architecture or whatever a lot of um, ships have shipwrecked both in the old times and now so it seems like it's kind of a, a, a town that they're in with like the people are rough around the edges. And right, definitely, yeah, so that his his new friend is a rich guy who just bought a house who's like, I'm going to go and use all my money to find this old Spanish ship. And then the town is like, you new rich guy, who are you? I'm a rough around the edges town, ta- you know, townie. I don't know. Townie's not 
it's a that's a Boston word, but you know what I mean. It works though from um, the way that they're described. Yeah, right. And then um, we meet one guy who's like a diver because they have all these people who are divers to look. I don't know what were they diving for because they call him a diver, but were they only diving for the gold? Is I that think like so? I think so. I think that was their thing. That was their thing. Okay, because there was this one main guy who had a, a record. Who, yeah, uh, he owned the inn or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they called him a character. So then it's weird. It's a, another atmosphere thing where, like, he kind of makes vague threats, the inn owner, and then Raymond starts to get creeped out and have foreboding feelings. And then he wakes up one morning and his friend is gone and they can't find him anywhere. And when they, they go looking, and eventually, that a long time later, they find him in his own garden tied up. Right, right. like a remote corner or something. And definitely tied up. And, yeah. and, and a cloth around his mouth. and In the mud, yeah. yeah. And, and so he... he said, oh, go ahead. Yeah, wasn't he stumbled on a bunch of gold and then they said they caught... He says that a bunch of local Cornishmen found him and tied him up. Oh, yeah, and, and so, so the twist was that there was also a recent shipwreck where there was a bunch of gold bullion that had gone missing and it was a true mystery because it was very recent and when they went to you know down to save the ship or whatever the the room with the gold bullion had been like it was all gone and so they didn't know what had happened to it so the actual police current times were looking for it and as he was describing his adventure that they tied him up put him in the back of a lorry and he felt the lorry doing all this traveling before he, he was put down in his own uh, garden. And the lorry is important because of its tire. Now, right. what is a lorry? I didn't look a this truck. up. Okay. I was thinking, it sounded like, because he, even when he, when he picked him up from, <laughs> not the airport, <laughs> picked him up from yeah. wherever, the train station, I guess, he was like, oh, my car's in the shop, so I brought this lorry. And I was like, is it a tractor? Is Because it, it seemed like it was, had to do more with, you know, land, a land vehicle versus like right. a, a transportation like a vehicle. Motor vehicle designed to transport cargo. Okay. They vary in size, power, and configuration. So well, let's imagine an old 1930s pickup truck. Right. That works. Okay. So yeah, so he tells this and he's like, isn't that a crazy mystery? I guess we'll never know. And um, that's when Miss Marple speaks up and she's like, oh, honey. <laughs> Yeah, this one was not good for Raymond. And I don't even think she let everyone else tell their solutions first. She was just like, you're so credulous. I can't believe you just met this guy. You stayed at his house. He's clearly the guy that stole the gold. And it's buried in his garden. And the reason I know that is because you you saw garden, Gardner um, and gardeners don't work on Whit Monday. And he had done the dates. And so a real gardener wouldn't work on Whit Monday. So it must be a fake gardener. Therefore, the gold is buried in the garden. So I don't know if only gardeners don't work on Whit Monday or if it's a holiday for everyone. Because, um, as I mentioned, it's the it's Pentecost. It's called Pentecost here. And um, so and often in Europe, they have the Sunday and the Monday as a holiday. So what month are, would you say? Oh. Okay. I'm sorry. You said the month, and I've already forgotten. But some, oh, some month in, uh, some Monday in a month is a is a is a holiday. And um, 
we know that the solution is true because Sir Henry, who's the former chief inspector of Scotland Yard, knows something of this case. And he's like, yeah, he's actually in jail right now. Your friend who has several aliases because we caught him for something else, for some other stealing that he was doing. And that they did. They had found the, the gold in his yard. So basically, under the pretense of looking for this ancient galleon's gold, he was actually stealing the, the current shipwreck gold. And he exactly. specifically invited Raymond, because Raymond's a little bit famous from being a writer. So by having this kind of credulous witness to the whole thing, it added to... So and he, you know, his his buddies tied him up, and the whole thing was to try to like divert suspicion. And and they changed the wheel on the lorry to the wheel of that of the innkeeper, so that they could frame him because he had a record. Exactly, and it was definitely a rich guy who came into the town, was a jerk to everybody, and then totally took advantage of the fact that. Raymond was a well-educated writer who's like, ooh, people who have records and who work with their hands, scary. You know, like, didn't you get that sense? Yeah, and I don't even think the guy was a rich guy. I think he was just knew how to play that part. He was a con man. <laughs> right, right. So when is Wit Monday? Um, it's uh, in 2021. It'll be um, May 24th. The Sunday before is, is Wit Sunday. And it is about uh, Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came to the disciples of Jesus after he was he was dead. Mm. So okay. so it's it's connected to Easter, which would be so it probably floats between April and May. Uh, it, it may and a little bit later. So this year it was June first. Oh, okay. No, yeah. Okay. So okay, that makes sense. And it's called uh, Whit Sunday or Whit Monday in England because. People wear white garments on Pentecost to, if they're newly baptized. Okay. Yeah. There you All go. Right. There you go. <laughs> I mean, now we've talked about Whit Monday, whatever that is. But that was so the tell that that Ms. Marple knew that the 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 gardener was out there yeah. burying gold and not actually planting rose bushes because he saw him on the Monday and she was like, everybody knows that gardeners don't work on Whit Monday. Right. right. And this is the first time when she kind of turns the table on him. And it was like, oh, Raymond, you're so credulous. Well, and one of the things I liked about this story was that she didn't wait, like you said. She just like, okay, let me tell you what happened. And then, then she was doing that more at this dinner party. Like, okay, do we have to wait for everyone to say their idea? Right, because you're all wrong. So let me just, <laughs> just tell you what now. Right. But Raymond himself said this, I thought. Um, uh, I believe such stories about ships are not uncommon so the number of mystical treasure ships is largely largely in excess of the genuine ones i thought that was really a great statement well yeah and, that everybody imagines. and then and then he said because when he's telling this story even at the beginning she's like oh you're so romantic and she's like i absolutely am not but my friend was and so i went with him to look for these galleons but i'm not romantic <laughs> i'm you know sarcastic right. and worldly and you know but he clearly was taken in by this by this guy's story while claiming not to be right right, right. well and i wanted this is just silly but um they in here it was written um rear left tire instead of left rear tire and i thought oh it could be either way but we would just say the left rear tire 
automatically. Oh, we're left. Do you know that um, there's a list for the order that adjectives have to go in in uh, current American English for it not to hurt our brains? Right, and it's it's very specific about like color, age, side, gender. Like it's a very specific list. Oh, really? But I wonder why would it be rear left tire instead of left rear? But tire? it also it might have changed over time, or might be different in British versus American English. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so the order is number, quantity, size, age, shape, color, proper adjectives, and then purpose or qualifier. So that's the adjective so order left, in English. Rear and left have are not on that list. Right. Well, it's a qualifier. So why would we say Wait, you said which one would you would you say, Mom? I the, the, in the book it's rear left tire. Rear left wheel, sorry. Oh yeah, and we tire. would say left rear. Yeah. So that is just left to right and back to front. Right. We would always say left to right first and then back to front first. Yeah. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Because that list doesn't, it just has qualifiers. But so I think, yeah, say, I think you can get more specific things that like that, the way that it works for us. But it, it, I think that's probably very, I bet a lot of those rules vary between British and American English and may oh, have changed in a hundred years. Oh, yeah, definitely changed. I just thought it was fun to think because when I read Yeah, I didn't it, even I notice thought, that. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so okay, we're gonna move the on. next story is a creepy one. Oh, yeah. it's totally creepy. Totally creepy. Well, and what I love, so it's the story is told by Joyce, who's the artist, and um, she describes that the painting she made when she observed this, she never sold and she never did anything with it. She finished it, never sold it. And she turned it away and it's in her studio and she never looks at it. Right, it creeps her out, a, too. Yeah, and so that's a really interesting um, kind of, like, because I've had things like that where I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to look at that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's, she made it, and she doesn't want to look at it or sell it. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, And this one I also takes know. place in Cornwall, and she kind of teases about how the fact that, like, it's at this picturesque village that's almost too picturesque or very self-aware in its picturesqueness of being, like, ye old. Cornish right. village but she's but there to paint and um, she's annoyed because these people come along while she's painting and she's enjoying a quiet afternoon but these other tourists come along how dare they and block her view of what she's trying to paint right because she's painting an inn that has been there for it sounds like you know a hundred years or two hundred years or some ridiculous amount um, and they're driving of course a, a car and so it messes up her, you know, right painting kind of this, you know, old inn. So there's um, a couple and then he they run into an old friend of the husband and he's like, oh, Carol, I can't believe it's you after all these years. And it <laughs> seems like the husband and like the wife is a very sort of prim and proper woman. And Carol is like wearing a bright floral dress and bright red lipstick and a big old hat and she's like something to see and and even from the beginning Joyce was like I wonder how pleased the wife is to meet her right Marjorie right Marjorie was, yeah, was, yeah and they hang out yeah and so there's a big like oh how great to see you Carol I haven't seen you in so long 
moment and then she can hear them talking and she's kind of waiting for them because she's going to try to paint um and then uh they say oh we're going to go bathing which we would say swimming on the cornish coast somewhere there's different beaches where you can go swimming uh side note when agatha christie disappeared for those two weeks it was she was found again in a hotel on the Cornish coast, I believe. Was that before or after? I wonder where this story was written. This was this was it was before. Okay. I remember it was the year that her husband, um, her mom died, and then her husband left her, and then she disappeared for two weeks. Mm. Um, and so, but it was at a spa. In Wait, but you're saying this happened her in her real life before this story was written. Right. Oh, so she could speak to these ends very well. Right. There you get some, you know, play. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, so who knows? We still don't know. There's a movie on Netflix that um, speculates that she solved a mystery during those two weeks as opposed to went somewhere and was upset because her life was hard at the moment. But (laughs) (laughs) anyway, Um, so uh, so then they they, they're going to go bathing or as we would say swimming and carol that uh, doesn't want to go in the boat. boat so she decides to walk along the cliffs because they're going to go see this cave and go bathing there and then the couple goes in a boat so she walks along the cliff and meets them and then later on the artist had gone to bathe herself and came back and she sees that that the couple is back in their hotel room or whatever and has the bathing dresses hanging up outside um, I love how you said bathing dresses as opposed to swimming suits. You but know, that's like what the book says. Bathing. I don't want to translate <laughs> it. I'm saying like... Right, fair. And also this is the 1930s. So they were dresses. They were <laughs> dresses. I just say, if I say swimming suit, that might be something very different than what a bathing dress looked at at that time. Exactly. Yeah, fair. And so she's painting and then a local Cornishman who's got lots of characters starts to come up and tell her stories about violence that happened on this coast back a hundred years ago and she starts painting blood on the pavement and then she's like looking to see and she's like there's blood on the pavement and the guy's like no there isn't i'm telling you a story from years ago and he's like but if you do see blood it means that dun 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 a murder a death will happen soon right within 24 hours a death will happen if you picture blood here or something right so then um, she finishes painting and then she does see Carol come walking back. Um, no, it's very specifically the couple, the husband and the wife, and the husband says to the local guy, have you seen that woman that we went bathing with? You know, she walked back separately, but we haven't seen her. He points that out and then he and his wife drive off. Then later we see Carol come walking back and then she goes off in a different direction, which is important because later on um, the artist hears that the same couple is at another hotel down the beach and in another little town and they'd gone bathing again or the, the wife went bathing alone and then, you know, the water was too rough or whatever and she died and, you know, her body was found like a week later. Right. And then, right, right. and so it turned out that the twist was that this was like a scam that they ran. So Carol and the husband, he would marry some kind of dowdy woman, and young and mousy, yeah, 
yeah, and would ensure her life. And then they would do this thing where Carol would show very flamboyant in her clothing. So it was very clear that the characters were different. And then they would go bathing, you know, drown the wife. And then Carol would come back with him in the role of the wife, wearing the wife's clothes, and then sort of play the two characters. Because, and that's what Miss Marple points out, is that, you know, people are much more likely to notice how someone's dressed versus what they actually look like. So the fact that she's wearing this flamboyant dress and this big hat and the bright red lipstick, people would never confuse her for the wife, even though she's actually playing both roles. Exactly. And she, this, this is the quote I love. I mean, we being women appreciate the point about clothes. I don't think it is a fair problem to put to a man. It must have meant a lot of rapid changing. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And it's so um, creepy because they, they just, they kept running the scam over and over and the insurance companies got wary to it. Right. Even though and, he was like um, changing his name and everything. And this is another one that Joyce didn't actually know what the solution was, but Miss Marple and um, Sir Henry were like, oh yeah, Sir Henry's like, wait a minute, I know this pattern. We caught him later. Mm-hmm. And Miss Marple figured it out. So there was like a Joyce also was like, I don't know what the solution is. And then they helped her out. Right. I wonder if that means that she could look at the painting after she found out what actually happened. But it's still creepy because again, like it's not like it's solved so yay. It's like it's still a terrible thing that happened. Like, you know, like we were talking about in the Mr. Quinn stories, like some of them, although it's resolved, it does, you still don't feel good about it. You know, like they're serial killers. Right. Not right. Great. Exactly. Well, no, and and there was actually something on the pavement because the red bathing dress was fading. There was something. No, and, and that the- that's the part that I was. I had a detailed question there because they were saying that one of the bathing dresses was red, and so the killers didn't realize that blood had splashed from, you know, when they hit the wife in the head onto the dress, and when they hung it out outside, they didn't realize it also had blood in it. So it was dripping blood onto the pavement, which, so she did see real blood on the pavement. Right. But I was like, if I was hanging up a bathing suit, swimming suit, that's what we say. (laughs) If I was hanging (laughs) up a swimming suit that was red, but it had blood on it. And I didn't realize it when I hung it up, wouldn't it be on my hands? Or maybe it's like, it was watery enough that you wouldn't notice it. But when it drips down in concentration, so there's some, yeah. And this goes back to the atmosphere. Was it because it was she was seeing blood because it meant there was a death? Dun dun dun. And right. The guy was talking to her. And right. Talking those so yeah. was it more atmosphere or versus real blood? Yes, Amanda. I had that same issue about. Wait a minute. Or was it that much blood to be dripping off of a bathing dress that it would show up on the pavement? Right. Because it. Right. Yeah. Because apparently it seemed like they hit her head and threw her in the water. So even if she. Yeah, it's it's hard to picture that. And then later on, when the when the artist went back, she couldn't see the blood, so it must have been only a little bit because it evaporated. Exactly. Right. Right. So I had yeah. detailed questions there too, but that was a creepy one. That was a real like, ooh, that's dark. Yeah. That yeah, is dark. Yeah. Sometimes she goes super dark. The next one though is nobody's murder. Right. This is this right. is actually in some ways lighthearted. So. The story is told by the lawyer and it's definitely like motive versus opportunity um, is the title of it. And it's definitely a a legal one. So he's got a client of his who's an older man 
who lost his son and then lost his granddaughter that he that he loved that he loved and lost her as a child and he was taking care of her and then he was did bring up or live with for part of the time his brother's kids three kids uh two women and a, a guy who are adults but he you know and took care of them and loved them but he was always bereft over this granddaughter that died and then he's getting close to the end of his life he's you know getting more and more sentimental and a um medium comes to live with him with her husband an american medium no less oh wow (laughs) and then she starts telling getting him in contact with his um dead granddaughter and saying things that the dead granddaughter loves this medium and you're like "Uh uh-huh and so and she sues her mom and dad right right and so um she's been living there and one of the daughter uh, one of the nieces still lives with the older man one of the other nieces nieces has gotten married and so has um, and doesn't live there anymore and the nephew doesn't live there anymore is that right i think so yeah Yeah. and i think it was the husband of the niece who got married went and told to the lawyer and was like okay this is getting a little bit this is a scam this is a scam also, the woman's living there with her husband. Right. Right. Also, this is our uncle, and he's got a bunch of money. So he's being taken advantage of, and also my inheritance or my wife's inheritance. Right. So the lawyer, to look into it, goes to visit his friend or his client, and he meets the woman. And, um, you know, he's like, Yeah, this seems like a scam. But, Anyways, he can't talk him out of it. And the client who is, he's calling Simon, Mr. Claude, um, right there, because he's got his lawyer in the room, is like, I'm going to rewrite my will. Bring me my pen. And so the pen, the, the maid brings him his pen so that they can witness it. And he just writes an informal will, basically giving almost everything to this medium and basically disinheriting primarily his three blood relatives. Who have lived with him this whole time, including this one niece who's never gotten married and takes and care takes of care him. of him, yeah. So and then um, so anyway, so yeah, so he writes this new will and gives it in an envelope to his lawyer, and then there's it's very carefully tracked after that because he like has the 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 will in an envelope. It's in his jacket or in his coat, and then he stays for tea. And then he goes back to his office, and then the husband of the scammer medium comes to visit him. And that envelope is still in that room. And then he goes and he locks it away. Oh, but we forgot to mention that it was in his coat. The the will was in his coat and he left the room and he came back and the medium was like hovering over his coat. Right. And he unnecessarily and he's like that weird. And that's why the title of it is motive versus opportunity, because both the husband and the medium had an opportunity to get rid of this will but it was a will that benefited them right and so when they but it, basically the guy lived for another month even though he was at death's door at that moment when he wrote the will and then when they opened it it was blank and so it was like wait a minute the people who had the motive i mean had the opportunity didn't have the motive 
And then the people who had the motive, which were the nieces and nephew, never had an opportunity. They were never with the paper. And so what do you do? Um, and um, so that, that was the big question because I think the nieces and nephews, I can't remember if any of them were visiting at that time. I know that there was the one niece who lived there but yeah, the, in, in the storytelling, there was no chance for anyone who was motivated to change the paper to do so. And this is where Miss Marple so, starts to get more bold because she just starts laughing out loud about right. it. And, and she, she says, go ahead. She says that it's um, a trick. Right. So she writes the solution on a paper and passes it to him and lets everyone else go through their wrong <laughs> ideas about how it happened. Right. And, um, and that was the thing is he was like, is there anything you don't know? And everybody else in the room was like, damn it, she did it again. And he's like, no, 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 you guys can still do this, <laughs> which they can't. Um, and everybody is like, well, they switched it, but they didn't really see what was in it. Or da, da, da. there was all these um, got into the safe font somehow. Da, da, da. And then it was a trick. Right. And the trick is great. Didn't you see it coming? No. Oh, I saw it coming. <laughs> you saw it coming? Oh, yes, I did. As soon as I saw oh, I see what they did. I didn't know how they did it, but I saw what they did. How very Miss Marple of you. <laughs> so the trick was disappearing ink. And who did, so uh, somebody instructed a, a worker in the house. Right. right. There was a maid, her personal maid was told if she was ever asked to go and witness anything. Who told her that? I was either the nephew or the um, niece's husband. I can't remember which But basically, or, or the niece herself. But yeah, basically, this maid was very loyal to the kids and did not like these medium people. So right. was also, was team them. So they told her, if he ever says it's time to witness something, you bring him this different pen. And it was basically an exact replica of his regular favorite pen. But she kept it somewhere kept different. different and so when, when yeah. he told the story, there was a big setup about that she got it from the wrong spot. And he was like, that's not where I keep right. my pen. And she was like, well, this is where it is. And he was like, ah. Because <laughs> he, it was, she grabbed a different pen. So it was the maid that provided with the, the disappearing ink pen. Right. So it was there, so, and then the ink disappeared. And so basically, the solution to this one was the that uh, husband of the woman who inherited basically told the lawyer this as a third-person story. Like, hey, just so... I, I heard a story like this, or this happened to a friend of mine. So he basically confessed, but it was never changed because it was an injustice but not really an injustice right right because it was basically saying to that the medium doesn't get all this guy's money because she was only there and they actually went people. out of their way to be like it wasn't the fact that she's a medium because the lawyer or somebody involved in the life actually brought in some reputable spiritualist people that were like hey you know we want to bring in if you're interested in these things they brought in some people right. that were reputable in that world and they were like, nah, this is a scam. And of course that just made the old guy dig his heels in more, but it wasn't just like spiritualism in itself is a scam. It was like, no, these people are scammers in particular. So I thought that was interesting that the book made that distinction, not to say right. that, yeah. you know, 
but basically it was it was taking advantage of the fact that he missed his granddaughter so much and so it was like doing all this fabricated connection for him that he just you know was eating up however didn't um the man who came in who was a reputable scientist who also was either studying this or um a spiritualist himself said he was kind of wishy-washy about the pronouncement right because he said i didn't detect any fraud but i don't think the phenomena is real right 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 and and that's the thing is one of the things about all of anybody who communicates in that way there's an element of like you could be making this up completely you know and then for what is right and how would you prove that it was fraud if you know if if you know, if I have if I have mediumship abilities and I don't believe in yours, how do I prove that? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess you know um, the story of the um, medium who takes advantage of people and just tries to get more money from them or tries to get them to leave money is a common one. You know. So how I guess the difference is is that if you can pay somebody up front and say, please tell me something. And then that's the end of the transaction. But if it's like, no, keep paying me and also leave me your money. I mean, she was know. living there. <laughs> like, yeah, it was right. Like... Both of them were living there. Husband, too. Yeah. Which reminds me of a Perry Mason I saw recently uh, <laughs> about extrasensory perception. And um, there was a, a, one of the characters was a person I looked up and he really was a person who studied it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, um, it's it's kind of hard to know what to think about these things, but there clearly are people who study, right? And are not well. They're doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. So I just got to say that um, in the city of Portland, Perry Mason was played at noon for longer than any city in the country. Is that true? You know this particularly? It is true. I've looked it up. Perry Mason was played <laughs> at noon on first. KPTV and then they changed uh, forever and the long and only in the last two or three years they switched to playing it at 8 o'clock in the morning or something like that 9 o'clock on that channel that was one of the off channels of one of the major channels here. MeTV it's on at 9 o'clock if you want to (laughs) know but it was one of those things because if you were had a day off of school in Portland you watch Perry Mason at noon. Well, I think especially if you were in our household. I'm not sure that's a universal experience that may have been niche to our experience since our mother is obsessed with the show Perry Mason. I think that might be a real niche right there. <laughs> I don't know if every kid growing up in Portland would be like, oh yeah, Perry Mason at noon. I think they were watching cartoons. Fair. But but it's it is for me, Perry Mason was like you know, it meant that I had a day off of school. <laughs> but it was on TV in Portland at noon from the 60s through the 2000s. Wow. So, Amazing. like, it's on Wikipedia. I mean, not that the <laughs> Wikipedia is a good source all the time, but yeah. By the way, Amanda, uh, what kind of red wine are you having? I am having uh, some Malbec. Although, what's the fun thing is, is that my Malbec um, is spiced with a little in my cup of the... Uh, homemade glug i'm trying to make oh cool so i i I, uh, yesterday um so we're recording this just after thanksgiving and 
I got it in my head when I was doing Thanksgiving things to try to make a terrible American version of the Norwegian holiday drink glug. And so I started with a base of Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper and cranberry juice <laughs> and boiled it down to concentrate oh, and a little orange juice and then added all the mulling spices and everything. And I think I'm in the neighborhood. I, I went to the I, store today I'm, and got cardamom because I was lacking cardamom for my spices. And then I did too much cardamom. So now it tastes to me, it's gone Indian in the palate versus Scandinavian. So then I tried to balance that out again. It's, it's just an experiment. It's a holiday experiment. But I think starting it with a base of, uh, you know, soda is ridiculous. <laughs> the kind of ridiculous that I need right now. <laughs> so also not related, but uh, just hearing the sentence come from you, saying i had to go to the store because i did i was lacking carbon <laughs> who am <laughs> i <laughs> only in 2020 exactly well and also guess what i did tonight i took the ingredients that were in the fridge and made up i was like oh i have enough of these ingredients to make this meal i did not buy for a meal i took random stuff that was in the fridge and made a that meal. is some adulting right there wasn't that great i know and it was good I mean, it was very good. My son didn't eat it, but you know. But he's he's kind of he's not eating a lot of things. He also didn't eat any of Thanksgiving, and, right? That's what mom said. Right, right, right. You can't go with what a toddler chooses in terms of know if your your cooking skills are on point. And meanwhile, my daughter though ate a, a more turkey than all of us, I think. <laughs> and then she ate a lot of the chicken. Huh? Yeah, and we were delicious. like, oh no, no, she's gonna be so full, she won't have anything, won't have any eggs this morning. So this morning we did a very Scandinavian breakfast of scrambled eggs that had um, dill and red onion and smoked salmon Ooh, and then cream cheese. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of some sharp flavors with the red onion and smoked mm -hmm. salmon and dill. Annika just is like <laughs> handfuls, <laughs> handfuls. Of yes. I yeah. love it. So, so Amanda, uh, I just wanted to make one minor comment that it's Swedish, not Norwegian, just in case any purists are listening. Well, okay. I was able Swedish to look up dog. both. Like, you know, the, the, the Swedish version is spelled with the O with two dots. and The Norwegian version has an O with the slash through it. Oh, I was able God. to find it. I mean, I think it's sort of a diaspora in Scandinavian, you know, beverages. And so okay. according to, okay. I don't know, but you've been to Norway a lot more than I have. So maybe well, we, have you ever been there at Christmas? One time. And we didn't have it there. Well, there you go. <laughs> apparently. What? But, but there um, is a way so of spelling anyways. it with the Norwegian O. Exactly. I'm sure there is. That's that's very good. I'm I'm delighted that you found. Well, and we 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 have both heritages. I think that I I refer to the Norwegian heritage more often because we have you know more of a familial connection, okay. but also because of the, all the the Nazi stuff out of Sweden. Every time something disappointing happens out of Scandinavia, it's always the Swedes. <laughs> You're like, oh, but then they, they're always on the wrong side of, of Nazi history stuff. So it's easier to just go with the Norwegian side, you know? That's good. That's a good point. And plus they blew the pandemic. It's See? I, I feel like, the, and, and they were sterilizing people with disabilities. I feel like they're very, like, they have some of those, like, it, it wasn't surprising to me that they did that pandemic thing. Like, well, then the herd. That's <laughs> I right. just seemed, yeah. I know. Oh, this is a terrible thing. They didn't let people from the nursing homes go into the hospital. So a, a lot of those people that died were older people who might have been saved. 
Hmm. So it's really, it's a, it, I looked it up. Somebody told me who was reputable and I looked it up myself. And so it's a really black mark on uh, Sweden right now. Oh dear. Well, okay. Well, so we're, we're, God. we're, we're, uh, we're, um, we're embracing our Norwegian heritage. That's right. <laughs> okay. Spiraled. We spiraled. Wait, yeah, we spiraled just because I asked. Wait, so what are you drinking? So I'm having some uh, store brand Malbec. <laughs> with a we're little bit of vine. my glug mix. What are you having? We're having old vine Zinfandel. We got it's got some cool Celtic art on it. And it looks like it has a Celtic name, which I can't say, right? It has too many vowels. <laughs> yeah. And if you try right. with the Celtic word and just guess, you'll get it wrong. I'll right. totally get it wrong. It has too many vowels. Let's just say that it's got Cause when, yeah, anyway, but it's good. Um, but uh, it was a, it was a, um, Betty's mom's friends, Betty's son gave Betty some wine and then she shared with us. She shared. Very with nice. Us. So isn't that nice that sharing. So, um, and we're going to give Betty some Turkey. So very, you know, very nice. Um, um, so we should probably, okay, moving on to, so, so this is the last one of the first part. Pile of carp. We pile of carp. This one makes me laugh. <laughs> Isn't that great? So this is a heap of fish. Pile of carp. And you know what's funny? She didn't even allow them to guess. No. She just was like, "I'm telling the whole story. You're not even it guessing." Just, well, one of the things I loved about what it revealed about mm -hmm. her is that she doesn't travel. But when Mabel told her that she really had to come. She says, so of course, I put Clara on board's wages. I, I guess that's a maid. I don't know. Yeah. And sent the plate and the King Charles tankard to the bank. And I went off at once. So I looked up King Charles. So it Wait, give us a little context, children. Mom. So What's Mabel, happening? Yeah, so her, her niece, Mabel, had gotten married to a terrible guy. And then... He died, and she wrote Mabel and was like, are you okay? And Mabel's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then Mabel wrote um, a month later and said, oh, my God, it's awful. It's awful. Help, help, help. And then Miss Marple had to leave her town, which doesn't happen. That's kind of the context of this whole thing is Miss Marple. Okay, so now do town. your quote, Mom, in context. Now we have a, no. And so she put a plate, the plate, and the King Charles tankard, tankard, I guess, uh, she sent them to the bank. And so I looked it up. And so she obviously had an heirloom silver um, beer mug. It's what I describe it as. Right. And so she's got a special plate and a special <laughs> beer mug that needs to go to the bank if she travels. Oh, like she puts so them in, in like the vault. Yeah. This, the, yeah. I thought right. that was really cool. Yeah. Put them in. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. cute. That's funny. Yeah. She doesn't trust people because she knows life too well. She knows somebody's going to break it and steal while she's gone. Interesting. Right. Right. And her two valuables are the, the silver plate and the, yeah. And then she found Mabel in a very nervous state. So <laughs> apparently Mabel had a crappy husband and they argued all the time and then he died. And they had servants who were like, they argued all the time and he died so mabel must have done it so the whole town turned against her was like and that's another theme from this book sort of that um someone who's been accused but never convicted but never cleared and the cloud that hangs right. over them that happens in several stories 
And so this one definitely yeah. like was that where like her, her, she tries to say that everything's fine to her aunt, but then she's like, no, everything's terrible because people won't talk to me. Everyone assumes I did this. Everyone thinks I killed him. So she basically, you know, is living very ostracized in her community right now. And then, so the one thing, this story does, it's funny. I mean, besides the guy who died, but, you know, it sounds like we're not really sad about him. But also, Miss Marple's way of telling a story was harder to follow than all the rest of them. So it was interesting because Efficacy's writing, every story is slightly different in terms of, like, how the writing happened and how the story happened. And this one, I was like, what? Huh? Which which is so really fascinating like... because she is like and she's writing these short stories, but each short story has a different narrator, and so each of them has a different tone, and it carries through the whole story, yeah. and she carries their narrative style through the whole story. And I did the audio book by one of the women who does a lot of them, and it's interesting because when I was skipping around stories, I could tell which book I was in just by the tone of her voice so like she's also masterful in the reading because um you know she she was but it was so masterful in the writing because you could tell it was a different narrator each time if you think about the how you how you do that how you establish a different voice for that many different characters as you're telling a narrative story and then have the other people asking questions in their tone it was amazing and you're right, oh, wow. she wasn't right. easy to follow. Miss Marple, because I think her brain is different than ours, and so her brain is hard to follow for the rest of us. So Agatha Christie was obviously able to kind of be like, what would Miss Marple's brain be like? And it would be like, oh, and there's this, and it reminds me of this, and also sh- fish. What? <laughs> um, exactly. So basically what happened was is that he died. Oh, and the household was, there was a couple of servants, because apparently everybody has servants it's weird that's something i'm still getting used to and her joan stories. hickson but, joan hickson is the reader of several of oh, the yeah, agatha christie's oh, and she's so good yeah she's a great miss marple yeah, she's, she's one of the miss marples right yeah, yeah and so yeah and she's also great with the audiobooks because again like she can switch into a different narrator and i know who she is wow that is so cool yeah so um but in the household had um, Mabel, her husband, a couple of servants, and her husband's father or grandfather? Her husband's father. Yeah, Uh, husband's father, father. yeah. Okay. And um, who was having mental problems, and so um, and apparently the... I think we would say, like, yeah, he had had progressing dementia. Right. Yeah. Um, Well, I couldn't, yeah, I suppose that would be the, yeah... Um, but uh, the husband wanted to put him in a home and Mabel was like, no, he wouldn't like it there, um, apparently. And then, um, so the the husband died and Mabel had argued with him recently, which is why the servants were like, you did it. And then saw him like thrashing about because he was like in pain and then left the room, ran to her room because they slept in separate rooms, which is also weird. And um, But he's also annoying. Right, but that happens in a lot of the books. Oh, exactly. We've read the husbands and wives sleep in different rooms. Um, and then she ran to her room and locked the door. And so uh, Miss Marple was like, well, of course the, the servants think you did it because you did this. Right. Right. As her um, husband's dying, she's like, well, I'm going to go. 
Let me hide. I'm bored. <laughs> it's not a good look. Like, even if you don't like the guy, you want to stay around and, like, act worried that he's dying. Right. It's right, not a good look right. to, like, run away and be like, well, let me know what happens. Right. So then um, uh, Miss Marple interviews the servants, and they were like, yeah, he was talking about... Fish. He was talking about fish. <laughs> As he's and... dying, he's yelling about fish. So they were like, he must have been losing his mind. He was, And so then she was like, exactly what did he say? And she was like, it was a heap of some, some something like pike or uh, perch or something. And then the other one said pile. Uh, maybe it was carp. Maybe it was pike. Maybe it was perch. And then she said that she thought about the thumb mark of St. Peter and she figured out the, the solution. And everybody at the dinner party went, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why her narrative is hard to follow is because she she's just very smart. And so she'll be like, and then I thought of the thumb mark of St. Peter and then I knew what happened. And then she like goes back to yeah. knitting and you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> what? 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 Yeah. I just love that because like she just says that she's like I thought of the thumb mark of St. Peter, faith and fish, and you're like, huh? So do you know how to pronounce that word that uh, the servants heard as pile of carp? But it was an antidote, wasn't it? He wanted the antidote to. He knew he'd been. Poisoned. He knew it was atropine poisoning, oh, and so and I think in the audio book she said pilocarp. I'm looking at it written okay. now it looks like pilocarpine but I feel yeah. like when in the audiobook she was saying pilocarp oh wow isn't that just so uh, thank you I'm yeah. glad you listened yeah so it turns out that he was poisoned by his dad right because um, he was not making in a good mental place and he knew that the son wanted to put him away in a home and that the daughter had stood up for him. So in his, you know, twisted, um, you know, problem solving, he decided to kill his son. But the son right. realized that it was atropine poisoning. And so that's why he's which yelling he at the problem. servants to get pilocarp, which is a antidote. But they were like, why is he yelling about a pile of carp fish? <laughs> right. And yeah. then and then Miss um, Marple went in and confronted the um guy and he started doing the maniacal laughter thing yeah, yeah and he was like i'd do it again too but the good thing is right. that hopefully she was able to clear her niece's name so that right you know her the, the older man can get the help he needs <laughs> stop killing people right. Right. <laughs> and um and that her niece can like you know rejoin society and not be shunned right so then the book that I like what you were ends. saying about about Miss Marple and her narrative wow. style. I li I like that because I, I I didn't really pick I didn't name that, but you're right that she is she's hard to follow when it's her narration, and in, you know in most I of the books she's not the narrator, so it's kind of fun to hear it from her perspective because she's telling the story aloud. But because she's so smart and kind of all over the place, and then she's like, there it is, obviously, and then you have to pull it out of her. So you're right. I, I kind of like right. that 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 you know that she demonstrated that narrative style yeah so we switched dinner parties so apparently a year later um sir henry comes back to saint mary mead 
and he's staying with Colonel and Mrs. Bantry, who have a big um, house, which, FYI, a later Miss Marple book, which is one of her most favorite, um, famous Miss Marple books, The Body in the Library, is in their house. The oh. Body in the Library is the Bantry's library. But that's later. They haven't had that yet. Um, so they're having, um, they're having a dinner party, and Sir Henry Clithering is staying at their house. And they're like, we're going to have a dinner party. Who would you like to invite? And he was like, hey, can you invite Miss Marple? And Miss Bantry is like, excuse me, what? <laughs> that old lady? Why do you want to invite oh. her? Yeah. And he's like, she's really good at solving mysteries. And they're like, okay. And so then that night, and I love the description that they're sitting in the dining room and Mrs. Bantry is wearing an evening gown, but she's freezing. Because like most English dining rooms, it's freezing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this goes back to the fact that why is it that women's fashion involves not wearing not enough clothes? And then, you know, so you have a dining dinner party and then you're cold. Freezing. Right. So, And anyway. the men get to wear vests and shirts and a jacket right yeah. but then the reverse is true in the summer because they're still wearing all those layers and they're sweating that's, there you go. There that's you go. true that's true so anyway but she says to her husband hey sir henry wants to hear the story about the blue geranium let's solve it and so in this case there's another group of six people mm -hmm. uh, but the um there's two people who are the same sir henry and miss marple and then the other four people are different now Oh, we forgot to mention at the end of the thumb mark of St. Peter, they were like, oh, Miss Marple, you know everything. But there's one thing you don't know. And she was like, yeah, I do. You proposed to Joyce. It happened over there. That's where everybody does it. <laughs> she totally ruins their their joy. Because, yeah, Raymond yeah. is like, there's one thing you don't know. And she's like, yeah, I do. She said, yes, yada, yada. Moving on. <laughs> right. And she was like, yeah, you picked. You even proposed at the same spot where the milkman did it when he proposed to his whatever. And she and Raymond says, dash it all, Aunt Jane. Don't spoil all the romance. Joyce and aren't Joyce and I aren't like the milkman and Annie. That is where you make a mistake, dear. Everybody is very much alike, really. But fortunately, perhaps they don't realize it. <laughs> I thought yeah. that, it's just so clever and like it's really like she just crushes him like you think you're special <laughs> well and this is one of those things that I, as a teacher and maybe mom could so um for our listening audience of maybe 20 I've last I was guessing we had an audience of four but there might be 20 people <laughs> hey hey we're up to um, in the 70s for one of those episodes we're, we're getting up there <laughs> but um Anyway, so I've been a teacher for 20 years, but my mom was a teacher for 44 years. So high school teacher. So um, uh, sometimes I have students that I go, oh, you remind me of this, you know, and I never want to say that because, of course, you want every child is unique and special and, you know, but there are times where I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and a there's a very village parallel there's <laughs> definitely a village parallel where it's like oh you're a well-off young man who's always done well in school without trying very hard oh you know mm -hmm. for instance mm -hmm. that would be a type 
that I've had. Interesting. Um, often they're blonde. And I'm like, oh, no one's ever told you you need to work harder. <laughs> <laughs> but you do. You know. <laughs> so um you might want to confess that both of you were blonde growing up too. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean I'm And not, I still am. Thanks to chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> so many chemicals. <laughs> but partially that is not our fault. You we have beautiful jeans. I love our jeans, but the hair jeans <laughs> have fallen down on the job. The skin, skin, okay. You know, like, but the hair, the hair going white, that's the, that's one thing we did not, but that, but thanks to chemicals. Yeah. There's solutions to that. (laughs) Solutions, double entendre. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So we're back to this dinner party in this cold British dining room in a big uh, manor in St. Mary Mead, owned by the Bantry. Right. And Colonel Bantry starts telling this story. A ghost story. Yes. So um, the story goes that Colonel Bantry had a friend um, who was married to a horrible woman. Um, in these stories, the people who died are often horrible. It's true. That, <laughs> so it does help. And you pointed um, that out when we had some of the other discussions about how often she'll kill someone unlikable so you don't feel as bad about it. And I think that's why that one is hard for me where they're killing like these innocent women. Um, but like, yeah, most of these, the victim is someone that you're not that sad to see go. So it makes it easier. Right. So um, anyway, so this was apparently the woman was a hypochondriac who was like, I suffer and you don't care. I suffer. And, and all he care. did was take care of her. And she'd still be like, you wish me dead. You don't do anything. And like, just, and all he did was wait on her. And then they often had a nurse. They regularly had a nurse. They always had a nurse and the- but she would also get tired of nurses. And then the nurse came and then uh, she also liked having um, mediums come and read her or something. And, um, and, you know, I, I respect a good woo woo. I mean, a fair, especially if you're a hypochondriac who's, but she, um, the nurse was like, oh, there's a new medium who's coming and, oh no, you need to call for her. No, no, no. They just said there's a new medium coming. I believe my, the um, former nurse recommended a medium. So the new nurse wrote to this medium and got her to come. Those are the details that are important. Yes. Right. So then the medium comes and does all the things and has all the hair and this. Apparently, if you look slightly Spanish, um, you are a good medium from (laughs) the way they describe it. (laughs) And and Um, and she has all this stuff about different flowers and how a blue geranium means death and a blue primrose means warning and all these things like this these these premonitions based on these blue flowers and her husband's like well luckily those flowers don't come in those colors so you're good (laughs) see he doesn't take it seriously and of course the wife is like you're just hoping that i'm gonna die and then um so then they go on and oh and then full moon is bad and then she just oh and she sent a letter with all this stuff um and then 
Mrs. Bantry has to interject and tell the story that her wallpaper, and this sounds so dated, is covered with bunches of flowers. And I just cannot imagine how square the wallpaper is covered. Oh my gosh, you can't imagine that? Portia, I was thinking about our parents' bedroom. I literally was picturing the wallpaper at our old parents' bedroom that had blue flowers on it. I was literally picturing that wallpaper. We lived in this, we lived this story. Wasn't it? Although no one ever died. It was your bedroom upstairs before it was the old wallpaper that we inherited when we bought the house. Yeah, I'm not blaming you for the wallpaper, but it was there. No, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. I know, but it was in, uh, yeah, our nursery. And then when we, I, when we got older and we got our own bedrooms, we didn't have that wallpaper, right? So you're right, it was in the older part of the house. Yeah, on the top floor, was it? I don't remember. I thought it was in both rooms, but like, yeah, it was definitely up there. And the top of the house, right. there was this wallpaper with blue flowers. This was very easy for me to visualize. Portia's like, I can't visualize it. I was like, my childhood has all these memories <laughs> of like looking at this blue wallpaper. Right. Blue, or wallpaper right. with blue right. flowers. I was like, that's very easy to picture. <laughs> okay. Exactly. You're right. You're right. You're right. But so uh, then Mrs. Bantry was annoyed because all of the wall, um, the, the uh, flowers were mostly yellow and pink flowers. And there were a bunch of flowers that all be blooming at the same time because she's really into flowers. Flowers. And then, um, but then uh, there, there, there were the three um, kinds of flowers, and it was warning something for the three. Uh, so blue primrose warning, blue hollyhock danger, blue geranium death. Okay, and then so then after the night of a full moon. Um, she rings her bell. Apparently this woman never gets out of bed and she just rings her bell for her nurse to come, which just sounds miserable for everyone, including the woman. But anyway, so she rings her bell and the, um, uh, there was a blue primrose somewhere right. amongst the flowers. And then they didn't later, used to be blue. So it turned blue overnight. Right. Right. But was it always blue or did it just, you know, they didn't know that first one. Right. And then a month later, she rings her bell and says, oh, my God, there's a blue hollyhock. I don't even know what a blue hollyhock looks like. Okay. Well, this time she had she had her door locked so that she could, and she said, see that hollyhock? And so she wanted to be sure everybody understood. That it, it turned blue. Yeah. yeah. And then a month later, she's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And her husband's like, this is stupid. This is stupid. And it goes around and around. And then a month later, she didn't ring her bell. They open the door. She's dead. And oh, well, a- I see. I looked up a hollyhock. It's like one of those flowers that's a kind of a long thing with a whole bunch of flowers on it. No, oh. I would put that on wallpaper. If I was like decorating old timey wallpaper, I'd put this on there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it looks it looks like wallpaper flowers. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then a month later. She doesn't ring. They walk in. She, the husband and the nurse walk in. She's dead. And then they, not right. He goes and calls the cops. And then they find a blue geranium in that in the room. And he's like, "What the hell? What the hell?" And it's like, "How do you solve this mystery?" Now this dinner party didn't have the um, uh, preface that you had to know the mis- the solution. 
And he said, I don't know the solution. Right. And then um, people were allowed to ask questions and they did about all of them about the husband. And um, apparently he had a woman friend, but they, you know, were suspicious and kind of broke it off after the death and the nurse and all the questions. But then once again, the new nurse and the old nurse. And it turned out that the medium that after her death, they tried to contact the medium and that she wasn't at the address that was listed, that she didn't exist. And the, and the old nurse who had recommended her was like, I don't know who you're talking about. I never, I don't know about her. Right. So she kind of evaporated into thin air. And then Miss Marple, as usual, figured out that it was the new nurse who was actually a returning old nurse, right? right. She had been there before and she'd come back. Um, and she thought that the husband was into her. Right. And so she was the medium. She, she came dressed that one time. She only had to come one time dressed and then left this letter. And then what happened was it has to do with acids and alkalines. Cause it was pink flowers that turned blue. Because if you put. Uh, litmus paper. Litmus paper. Um, it's pink and then you have it um, you put like um, acidic stuff right and she used smelling salts so when she put her smelling salts it would react with litmus paper and science which why wouldn't they go up when they saw that the thing was blue wouldn't they be able to peel off the litmus paper yeah that was a detail I wondered about too Oh, I didn't think of that. They would go up to the wall and be like, why is that blue now? Is it paint on there? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably questions about it, right? Why wouldn't they just peel it off and be like, this is litmus paper. Litmus paper equals nurse. You know. But Good point. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. But the whole thing that Miss Marple was like, you know, this nurse probably thought the reason she was brought back was because um, the husband. Right. We knew the husband was handsome and so she probably, she had feelings for the husband that were not returned but she had sort of made some leaps there. Right. So And um, and the whole thing, again, this is again where Miss Marple is sort of like the whole time she keeps saying things about wasps oh. and it is because she felt bad because you have to kill wasps and you have to murder them but you gotta do it and and then how the solution of I think arsenic and water that they use to kill the wasps looks a lot like smelling salts. So she was like how easy it would be. And I didn't know that you could die just from smelling arsenic, but that's what the story seemed to imply because they had just, the nurse replaced her smelling salts with the wasp killing arsenic solution. Well, and, was, and yeah, cause it was definitely a, when you kill a wasp, you use kind of a, a mist right you're killing them with a mist of stuff i don't know i don't kill wasps <laughs> i run away screaming <laughs> hoping they don't follow <laughs> that's my that's my plan that's my wasp <laughs> plan well if i had some arsenic though i'd spray it at them yeah. i'm not against it well i mean i think it was kind of a mist a mist of stuff so yeah no what i'm saying but smelling salts i imagine that is like in a bottle and you open it and smell it right Right. So, like, I'm, if I'm, I'm trying to kill you with it, it must be that the fumes are enough to kill you because you're not going to, like, dab the arsenic, like, behind your ears or something, right? Like, you're... Yeah. 
I don't. So that was a that was a a, a poison question again. I'm not googling it because I don't want to get flagged. But can you kill someone just from smelling arsenic? <laughs> These are questions we have. Or was it ammonia? But I thought the ammonia. Wait, what do you kill wasps with? I have no potassium idea. chloride. Okay, I'm looking it up. So potassium potassium cyanide. Cyanide. So apparently cyanide. that is a that's, that's a was. gas. Cyanide, potassium yes. cyanide. Okay, I'm mixing up my struggles. That's right. okay. Potassium that's what, cyanide. And that you have to if you breathe it because that's what they yeah because yeah okay there we go yeah because that's yeah you kill wasp and or use it in World War One so right. you know oh yeah sorry or two but yeah. does anybody oh. what are smelling salts. Um, if you're an old timey old lady no, who I know that. has stress, yes, but I, you, what you I, smell what's in, the, what's in the bottle, really? <laughs> I don't know because it's in several of her books. Oh, it's it's constantly around. Smelling salt. Let's find out. I don't really know what a smelling salt is. I'll look it up while you keep going with the story. Okay, so then it's an ammonia inhalant. That's what I thought. That is a compound of ammonium carbonate. But not enough ammonia to really hurt you because, you know, when ammonia gas has suddenly escaped, it's dangerous for people. Use since Roman time. Physiological action is that it releases, it triggers an inhalation reflex. Oh, so if you're having trouble breathing because you're in distress and you do that, it, it stimulates you to inhale more deeply. Okay. So it's a quick reaction. You take a breath, a breath and you go... <gasps> And then you're and that's one of those things I think you know, like in, in movies when someone's passed out and they do it underneath your nose, it yeah. forces you to take an inhalation. Uh-huh. That's what it does. Okay, good. Good so now it we know. Like an inhaler. Uh, well Yeah, but unless the different action, but yeah. Yeah, it's just to get you it's almost like just shock you into breathing. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. So now we know what smelling salts are. <laughs> Um, so ne the next one uh, was told by the doctor. Yes, the doctor. Mm -hmm. It was the doctor, right? It was mm -hmm. the doctor. Uh, but the story was he was in Spain. Spain? No, he was in a uh, he was in a Spanish colony off the coast of Africa. Oh, he's on the is it Grand Canary Island. Right, Grand Canary Island. I had to look those up the first time I oh, yeah? read about it. But uh, so when you think about the where Africa is and where Spain is, and there's water between them, there's also islands between them. I'm, but it's more it's more not between, but off the coast of Africa. Right, it's off the coast of Africa, but um, but no, but colonialism. But colonialism. I mean, yeah, Spain went all over the world, right. but this was actually really close to Spain. Right, but also off the coast of Africa. Small colonialism. Like, you know, like colonialism light. Like, it's not that far. You just go a little, you just like a like a day trip colonialism. They didn't have to venture far away to do this. So what was interesting is that he was there because he had had a health break breakdown and they told him to go to a warm climate. So uh, if we're talking about s south of Spain and just off the coast of northern Africa, this is going to be really good weather. Right. Uh, really nice tropical weather um and the theme that they introduced with this story was really interesting because basically he's setting this scene and there's this like spanish woman who's very beautiful and vampy and all the things and he's like oh something's going on with her things right. are gonna happen and then yeah. turns out no she just got married and got fat and had a bunch of kids 
Right. And and the people that he interpreted as going to be boring British tourists is where the action happened. And Miss Marple kind of said the same thing. There's a village parallel that like the woman that you think is going to be the exciting drama filled person is just a regular person and the drama happens somewhere else. So that's the kind of like the, the twist on things that they introduce with this because he sees these two women who are just like respectable society ladies who arrive together, seem to be on vacation together. And he's like, nothing's ever going to happen over there. And then one of them dies. And there was a lot of layers of colonial as uh, colonialism in this one, actually, because as we said, this is off the coast of Africa, but there's a lot of Spanish people there because of colonialism. And then he's British and there's British tourists there. So when he was talking about the one beautiful, sexy woman, she was Spanish. Right. So she's already one level of colonialism. Right. <laughs> and then, because um, he's not even mentioning the people who were originally there. He's not even mentioning Africans. Right. As, as we've seen in some of the other stories, like in... Um... Man. the man in the brown suit that right. the indigenous people are objects in the background and we don't refer to them right they're not they're non-existent right right well spanish also, people are spicy and indigenous people are props you know or right. not even there and then uh there, i wanted to add that in the setup um that um the quiet assurance um of these women the British women. The British women. You have only to look at these two women over there and know that nothing out of the way could ever happen to them, either one of them. They are made for a safe, un uneventful existence. And there's a, a place where he talks about the quiet assurance of what they they can do. And it just sounds like the perfect um, definition of white privilege. And when you were talking about colonialism, I thought, okay, there it is laid out in this what was it 1930s 1932 or well yeah right the, the, the world is meant for their ease yes, right the quiet assurance because they he was talking about how they were coming to stay at the british hotel and they would stay and use their british tour guide and they would only talk to british people and they wouldn't actually experience anything right um, Which is something that he spoke to again in the brown, man in the brown suit. How how a certain there's a certain type of British tourist that will go all over the world to replicate a British experience, like have right. tea at the right time and have British tea and hang out with right. British people in a new setting, in a new country, in new weather, but right. not have a different experience. Interesting, they, you're right. They had the air of quiet assurance, which is the birthright of well-bred English women. I just wow that so chilling that is chilling that right is and then i love that you plot mom i love that you're pulling out all these quotes i always in the mr quinn book i did a better job of it um but i always want to do quotes but because i listen to them i have to like bookmark it and then transcribe it oh, right, <laughs> and right. so like i love you you doing these quotes because i think there's so much good writing that's yeah. nice of these quotes so i'm glad that you're pulling these out thanks so um so what happened was these two um, well-bred English women who <laughs> privileged, with privilege, by the way. privileged go out swimming the next day, or I suppose I should say bathing. And one of them says that it starts to have trouble um, um, and is drowning. The other one goes out and then um, couldn't save her. 
um, and then she drowns and the doctor to uh, somebody rows out in a boat to get them right brings them in and then the doctor tries to save her and can't and there's a huge colonialism slash um ethnocentrism there where um she seems very very anxious about her friend and then he's like wait a minute why are you anxious because it turns out that they were um rich woman and her companion here's a companion again so they actually didn't know each other very well so the anxiety seemed misplaced so he's and there were some natives which i couldn't tell when he says natives is he talking about spanish or is he talking about africans because anyway um but um the uh, natives said that her friend wasn't in trouble one woman a Spanish woman said this. Said that, that she wasn't in trouble, that there actually she swam out and started drowning her friend. And then maybe she was anxious because there was actually a real English doctor who might actually save, as opposed to what the Spanish doctors wouldn't actually save. Like, I'm sorry, CPR. Right, <laughs> him being on the scene, and they wouldn't have had CPR at that time, but him being on the scene gave was because he was just there as a as a guest and right. she didn't expect there to be an actual english doctor giving actual real people medicine she thought it would just be whatever spanish bullshit or whatever right like right, yeah it was right. very ethnocentric right right which i love that even spanish is like so i mean because also in the earlier story where the medium has all this kind of spanish thing like she can't even go to talk about African stuff, like Spanish stuff is so exotic. Well, you, you do remember that um, our rules about uh, immigration. Oh yeah, yeah, that like Spanish, but it's just so, because when we now talk about European- Well, we, wait, Portia, mom's gonna say something smart about immigration that you know, but not everyone grew up in a house with her. So what was she gonna say? She was gonna say- You were like, yeah, mom, I know. And I'm like, <laughs> but there's more people listening, so let her say it. <laughs> you say it go ahead <laughs> so when um we started having immigrants that were not english irish or scottish um meaning and even actually the irish but even a little bit later starting in the 1880s we started having immigrants from spain and italy and russia the people in the united states were like um these people are very very different at all like us their their language is different and so we had a lot of um prejudice against those people and it was not as many spanish it was more italian right. but um and and russian so a lot there was a huge amount of immigrants who came during between 1880 and 1920 and those people were segregated in cities and treated as second-class citizens even um and seen as they were often referred to as a different race for being either southern and or um eastern european and we had quotas from those countries oh yeah and then in 1920 and then 24 we started making quotas because we were like no what we want is the super white countries like england norway was okay you know the super super whites yeah can come we're going to have quotas and so that's why it stopped in the 20s because we started saying uh we don't want any of these and then now we're like 
the difference between a British person and a Spanish person, you know, you're like, really? But it was so important. And so this is why I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that the difference between a British person and a Spanish person on this island are so important. But yeah, so that's what she was referring to. So if I say, I know, mom. <laughs> like it's And the other thing that was, <laughs> the other thing that's poignant about that moment when he's like, I couldn't understand her concern. So yeah, okay. Apparently this was a companion that she'd hired that hadn't, she hadn't been with that long, but like, okay, she's still been traveling with this woman. They were swimming together and the woman is dying. I wouldn't think that wouldn't be a terrible anxious time for me. Even if I just, you know, was just getting to know someone. I just hired her. We're, she's my new companion. We're going swimming and now she's dead. And I think it was another class <laughs> moment where know, he was like, well, know, she really wouldn't be that upset. That it's just a dead companion. What's out. the big deal? Right. And that's when he said Get another one. That there was foul play right. and, but was... One of the things I want to do is I want to describe these two women um, uh, that as he described them. He said one was fair and little, just a little too plump. The other was dark and little. Again, just a little inclined to scragginess. <laughs> I love what does that mean? Does that mean skinny? I don't know what it meant. But anyway, so he's kind of just like, whatever, right? Um, he doesn't see them as noteworthy, right? And that he's made that point that nothing's going to happen to them. It's the lovely Spanish beauty that's exotic in my eyes that I'm going to have it check out. Right. So then... <laughs> I tried to look up Scraggy, uh, which is a Pokemon, so that wasn't helpful. <laughs> okay, Scragginess comes up as uh, roughness uh, and thinness, a little haggardness. So one's a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm picturing the stepsisters in Cinderella, but a just a little bit. That might be scruffiness. <laughs> I don't know. I thought scraggy. <laughs> okay. Right. All right, and that was one of the exactly. tells for the for the solution was the so, weight thing because um, one was a little too thin and the other one was a little was, too plump. So he starts investigating way more than you would think, considering because apparently he starts interviewing people and then when he goes back to England, he looks up where this companion was from and they can't find anything about her. Right. He can't find anything. And so then this one, they really let everybody at the dinner party be like, um, right. And so, so the question that's posed here is why would a woman kill her companion? She just hired this companion they go swimming and and then she drowns her. Um, but there was enough things that made him suspicious that it wasn't a natural death, that it wasn't an accident. So there was, there was enough signs of that, that he thought that was maybe true, but he couldn't figure out why, like, why would this, you know, well-to-do woman kill her companion right. that she had and, just hired? Um, it didn't make any can't sense. Find anything, so he is investigating because, himself. Everyone's like, why there's no, there's never a reason why the rich person would kill their companion because she could just fire her. Right. 
And then nobody thinks of the obvious solution, except for Miss Markle, of course, <laughs> that because they had just arrived. And she said, has she put on weight? <laughs> right. That they had just arrived at the new place and nobody knew which one was the rich lady and which one was the companion. And so, of course, the rich lady didn't kill the companion. It was the companion killing the rich lady. And it turns out was a distant relative who wanted her money for her family. Right. So she was a distant relative from Australia and who um, would end up inheriting this woman's money if she died. That was also kind of one of her, one of Agatha Christie's like, oh, the murderer is about to die. So it's okay. (laughs) Moments. She likes to do that sometimes where. Right, Right, because the doctor runs into her in Australia, and he's like, hey, you're that lady. And she's like, oh, but don't worry, because I'm about to die, and here's my big family that got saved by all that money we got from that death that I did. A parson, and she wanted to murder that I did. Oh, that's right. She kept up the act of being the rich lady for a while, a little while after that, and then confessed, almost confessed. Right. Oh, yeah. No, Mom, she fake confessed. She faked confessed and then faked her own death so that now the rich lady's dead, which gives them the money. So she she kills the actual rich lady and then impersonates her. And then she, as the rich woman, is like, yes, I killed my companion because I did. No reason. But now I can't take it anymore. Leaves a formal confession with the person and then, like, you know, disappears so then, so then, this family in Australia inherits the money. Like, You're right. So she she had to fake the death of the rich lady, but then the doctor runs right. is in Australia. But then it's this like, happens to be in Australia, and he runs into her, and he's like, "Ha ha!" And B, she was, um, he could tell that she was dying, which I thought was, um, it's amazing that because he's an English doctor, don't, don't you know? know? <laughs> he can look right at you and be like, "Oh, you're about to die." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a good English medicine. They've All come right. so far from so, bloodletting. The, um, the the thing I want to add about the companion is um, Baydecker is mentioned, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, but I'm reading from. So I recognize the name as a kind of guidebook person, and I looked up and I found an article on the Daily Mail that says the most riotously un PC travel guides ever. The informed, detailed, authoritative, and unguardedly rude Baydeckers. And the guides were founded in 1832 by German publisher Carl Baydecker. And Carl, I'm sorry, I'm probably pronouncing your last name wrong. They contain unforgiving comments on natives a traveler might encounter, natives in quotes. And then here are the quotes. The Spanish are indolent. The Greek, are, the Greek filthy, Italians dishonest, Orientals stupid. British are described as a place of parsons, puppy dogs, and peculiar people. So in spite of all that, um, an English man man on holiday in Spain a century ago found a country with little to recommend it. Waking up on the first morning and consulting his guidebook, guidebook, he would have read the following. Spain is a bleak and often arid land with few traces of picturesqueness. So this is what... um, 
he was saying that these women had gone to the Canary Islands and they were there uh, with these guidebooks. And that's all they would consult. That's these... all they would consult. And so they oh, so those guidebooks specifically even like spoke even more to their insularness. Right, right, right. And so that's the thing. And Portia, I think that we've had this conversation where sometimes Agatha Christie is participating in the things that we criticize and sometimes she's commenting on them. And in this case, it seems like she's commenting on them in the fact that like, she's like grouping these women with these guidebooks, right? Like, right. And and nothing's going to happen over there. Or I assume nothing's going to happen over there because these are respectable ladies. Look at their guidebooks and look at how, right. Right. And, but and, but, but that they were actually the people that were going to kill each other, right? And making fun of them because they wouldn't use anything except for their guidebooks. Um, That's interesting, yeah. So in this case, I do think it, in some ways, was a comment on this respectability. Like, okay, they're supposed to be the respectable ones, but it was actually the look what they did. The right. Spanish woman who was like, "I saw her push under the water," right. and the other Spanish woman just got married and had kids. Right. right. And, and but this is yeah, so it's interesting because she is open-minded enough to say maybe we shouldn't be judging the Spanish people. But then as we've discussed, her discussion of Asian people is among the worst I've ever read. Oh boy. Um and mostly because it's clear she's never met anyone It's just very one-dimensional, right? Like it wasn't even yeah, it's so like, you know, like bizarrely like the oriental mind where you're like, what the fuck are you what? Right. And then when she goes to Africa, it's an entirely European experience. <laughs> right? right? Like there's just like the and like when she does refer to like, you know, the children selling goods or something, it's again again they're just props. Like they're not necessarily right. humans. But the what she does with Asian people is fetishism yeah and so yeah so the way it's a it's a bizarre but but she's open-minded enough in at least you know to be like perhaps we shouldn't be prejudiced against spanish people so <laughs> way to branch out and go to which again place. for her where she was from and for that time might have been revolutionary right. like to the audience that she's speaking to and and again it's one of those layers like you were talking about white privilege mom like is it okay to take one baby step to an audience that needs to hear it or do you need to blindside them with right. abolish the police? You know what I mean? Like, where do you, and I don't know the right answer to that. Right. And we're, yeah. Well, and that picks right up on that conversation you and I had last night, Amanda, about Charlemagne the God challenging Obama. And Obama said, you have to say things that white people can hear. And maybe they couldn't hear what he really wanted to say. Right, right. Baby steps right. versus right, and then again, and I think that when we look at her as a writer, so she, like you know, writers have an influence on culture, especially you know someone as well you know as as widely read as her. There's times where she's making comments on culture, and there's times where she's participating in some toxic culture. Right. Right. Yeah, and so she probably thinks of herself as um, pushing the envelope when it comes to talking about Spanish people, or talking about women um but then yeah she's definitely got blind spots huge ones okay we're gonna move on to the four suspects okay 
And this so was, this was a cool one. And it was interesting because Sir Henry had traveled to St. Mary Mead, stayed with the Bantries, asked the Bantries to miss, ask Miss Marple to dinner, clearly for the sole purpose of saying, Miss Marple, I need your help with this one mystery. Right. She, he definitely did. So basically, it was a dude, um, an older dude uh, from German Germany um, who had broken up a secret society which sounded like the mafia but yeah. in Germany. And Schwartz means black, remember? The black hand. And so um, it, it shows up in many places but that was a, a German thing with this terrorist thing. Okay. So, so this, and- was this real? This is related to something real? Or was yeah. this a fictional big four kind of no, thing? No, no, it's, it's connected to something real and that other word Kamora is also real. Okay, so, so this is related to real villains in, in real right. Germany. Right, right. organized crime. Organized crime right. in Germany. So he broke up some organized crime in Germany and he was moving to a small town in England to write his memoirs and he was like telling Sir Henry they're going to come in, they're going to kill me, it's going to happen. So He's, he's I, broken up this organization but there's still members that are loyal to it who will come after him and he knows that but he wants to write his memoirs first so then he um lives in a house for was it just a month five five months five months and then um after five months he's killed and um so then it's like the four people who live with him are the four suspects um so right a if you're hiding in a small english village why not live by yourself? Just, just an F, just a suggestion. Why do you need four people who live with you? So I the need- people are his niece, right? And and then a uh, secretary who was actually a plant. He was a uh, a British guy, secret police, right? Who was secret there as a secretary to protect him, right? A gardener. And a, a cookie, cook kind of person. Yeah, cook. Yeah. That had been with him a long time. Right. So the gardener was from the small town in England. The cook had been a German cook who had been with this dude forever. Um, the, the And he fell down the stairs. Which is one of those, like, is that a push or did he fall kind of thing. Right. And so it was kind of like everyone seemed to be above suspicion because this Cook had been with him for like 40 years, so why did she decide to start being a part of the secret society now and kill him? The gardener had been in this British small town for all this time, so why would... Yeah, why would he care? Right. And then his niece is his niece, and then the other guy is British Secret Service, so there wasn't really a a motivation for any of them to be part of the secret society that we knew of. And so he was like trying to figure that out. And then the niece had come to sir henry and had said hey you know me and your secret service guy are always kind of in love but i think we both suspect each other of this murder so can you help me clear my conscience so that we could be together right and so that's the four suspects and any one of them didn't have an alibi could have done it could have pushed him down the stairs any one of them and so he didn't know Right. And they were also talking about how horrible it is to be suspicious that 
the problem isn't the guilty it's the innocent who are who are suspected right similar to the story with her niece where it was like being suspected can ruin your life right and so the question of who did it and how it happened you know like which one because it's not a how because it's not a complicated murder pushing down the stairs um is not a hard murder to do the question more is like who would want to so the clues came down to the mail and he actually brought the mail with him which is why i was like oh you really came to saint mary mead (laughs) you're so right about that right you brought props dude right (laughs) so then it was like a gardening catalog um a for the uh was it for the niece was the gardening catalog for the niece i don't know i think Uh one of the two women but i think it was the niece um, and then the the uh, there was a letter that was badly written English to the cook. Um, and then there was this weird cryptic letter that was written to him. To the man and, who died. Yeah, to the man who died that had all these weird, like, capitalized, um, you know, statements. It was very weird. And it was like... The person that we, I've told you to suspect, suspect them, even though you don't believe so. Right. And it was signed by someone that he didn't know. And he was like, what is this? This is mess. I don't, I don't know anything about this. And he tosses the letter aside. Right. And we forgot. Oh, to to the secretary. The secretary had to a letter from Germany. Right. Right. The secretary got a letter from Germany from a cousin. Um, and so, uh, which he later ripped up. He said he ripped it up. So Sir Henry didn't have that one. So um, then it's like, what does it mean? And then Mrs. Bantry and Miss Marple were like studying this letter. And it turns out that they had capitalized all different forms of dahlias. And each of the capitalized were different kinds of dahlias. But if you took all the capitalized, it spelled out death, which is kind of obvious, especially considering that wouldn't she be German? Right? The like, one who's going to try to kill him? Right. Wouldn't the niece be German? So why oh, yeah. Why would the oh, yeah. letter that's to him and then she reads, why would that be in English spelling out death in English that Mrs. Bantry and Miss Marple are like, it spells out death. But the niece is German. Good point. And he's German. But anyway, it spells out death. So that was the sign it was time to kill apparently right so basically the the trick was they addressed it to the man who was the victim but because he was like i don't know anything about this he tossed it aside and the other people at the table are his secretary and the niece so the person who's the you know the deep cover person sees the letter and basically it's a command to kill right it's like time to kill him now and the, the trick that Miss Marble realized was that honesty was capitalized. Right. It was a thing about honesty. But because honesty with a capital H is a kind of flower right. that solved the whole thing. Because yeah. Miss Marple's brain. <laughs> right. But Miss B- Mrs. Bantry was like, oh, yeah, honesty is capitalized. Wait a minute. That's a kind of flower in a way that I'm like, okay, clearly we, we should all do that <laughs> but um and then there was this whole thing about the language of flowers that miss marple had been trained in by a british governess or something where like right. it, different flowers meant 
right. love or deception or all these different things. But it wasn't really about that. It had more to do with the fact that honesty was capitalized. And it wasn't even the fact that it spelled out death. Oh, by the way, speaking of the language of flowers, uh, you need to watch Enola Holmes because I showed it to mom last night. Oh, and the language of flowers is part of it. So oh, really? This- okay. Okay. We yeah. got to watch that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, it also British murder mysteries. So, um, you know, it's also that. Produced by a 16-year-old wonderful woman. Yeah. Really? Nice. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so what the other thing that was creepy about this one was it was clear that sir henry was suspecting his own dude he was suspecting his plant and and miss marple said the fact that the niece who was the one who did it who went to sir henry and said i love him but i suspect him turned sir henry against his own man Right. She kind of planted that suspicion to be stronger than it was before. And um, and the fact that he ripped up the letter from his German girl cousin wasn't suspicious. It was just suspicious. Because right. Because cousin love. Because (laughs) this is is an ongoing thing that Agatha Christie is like, okay with cousin love. And we're like, what the hell? But there is also been books where cousin love is bad. We're confused. By the way. Well, um, and I think that kind of also has to do with like when these are short stories. Right. You know, her policy changes with time, but then the short story collections. Like, you know, like that her policy on consanguinity changed over time, but then the short stories are published. Right. right. You know, as a collection. And so like at the beginning in the 1920s, totes cool, marry your first cousin. And then as we get towards mid-30s into 40s, she's like, or genetic uh, variance is good. Well, but I heard this, um, somebody, uh, an NPR story about how this thing about not marrying cousins has changed our brains. And I wish you guys had heard it so you could help me remember what the nuances were. But anyway, they're apparently, it's apparently debatable. <laughs> Or someone's bringing up the consequences. Anyway, let's get back to the story. I just By the way, nice. Okay, talk. listeners, that's an update. So Portia and I have been a monolith of policy on cousin love throughout this podcast. But you heard it today. We have a counterpoint <laughs> on consanguinity here. That <laughs> keep dropping it by the way, consanguinity. Amanda, Amanda put it in one of the descriptions, and I was like, What's consanguinity? And she was like, Cousins, and I was like, That is a word for that. Well, it has more to do with the genetic results of right. that. Not to, you can love your cousin and not have children, and that might not have right, any right. you know impact apart from society. But, but like when you, when you have kids with closely related relatives right. working in the medical field, that's what we call it. Yeah. But anyways, so apparently Pam has different opinions on that. No, I don't have different opinions. I just heard a different opinion and I was astonished at the consequence of this different opinion being out there. So I just thought I would mention that that... Well, and it's true that there are certain cultures that because they have a smaller um, you know, who who choose to stay separated from other society. And so it's more common and and that's not necessarily a bad thing it's just different in, culturally for them from the culture that we come from you <laughs> right, right Ew. exactly 
Yeah, but I was astonished that there was somebody who was asserting that it had changed our brains. And I don't remember enough about it to mention it. So never mind that I mentioned it. Okay. <laughs> well, good to know. I mean, <laughs> uh, okay. All right. All right. So, so back to the story. This, this German, no, no. This, the guy who was from Scotland Yard, who was a plant, was in love with his German cousin. Right. Which was fine. For the perspective of the story. No, no, no. His own German cousin. No. Yeah, yeah, because the reason he ripped up the letter. Okay, so long he had a type. He liked German girls. So there was a German girl in the house who was the niece of the victim. Right. Who was the killer. And then there was his own cousin, his own German cousin, which makes sense because he spoke German fluently. So he clearly was probably German heritage. So... Right. He had a type. Anybody in England learned German unless they had <laughs> relatives there. So he had a type and he was kind of flirting with like girl that he lived with in the house who was the niece of the guy he's protecting. But then he also like had a sweet spot for German cousin. And so that's why he ripped up the letter because he didn't want the other girl to see it because he was kind of into both of them. But then when she got Killy, he was like, I don't, I'm not really that into her. It seems like something's weird here. And that's when, and she realized that he suspected her. So that's when she set him up and yeah. went to his boss. Right, right. So, yeah. So, um, and then what was interesting at the end of this is that she was like, you know what? Screw the pretty boy who clearly gets the ladies. Um, he's fine. You know, who's, and also the gardener is probably just fine because he doesn't, but that cook, who was with him for years and is um, worried that after all these years of service, somebody suspects her. Someone should tell her that we don't suspect her anymore. And Sir Henry was like, oh, she's human too? No, he didn't quite say that. But um, he, he did, you know, like was like, oh, I didn't even think about her being worried about her being accused of things. So which it, was one of the interesting themes in this one and the one before uh, <clears throat> the people who suffer are the innocent who haven't been proven non-guilty. Right. I thought that was an interesting. Right. right. To me. So right. Um, the shadow of doubt over all of these people kind of right. <clears throat> was interfering with all of their lives. So right. we figured right. out that it was actually his niece that had killed because she was deep cover for this secret society. Right. But um, but the fact that Miss Marple was like, who cares about the beautiful boy who can speak both German and English and clearly gets the ladies? Who cares? Let's worry about this cook who served mm-hmm. him for years. And so she definitely had um, um, uh, sympathies for who was being accused. So I was confused because of the way this story uh, was put out about how did they figure out it was the niece? Because so at the kitchen table, he reads the letter and he's like, I don't know who this is from. And he tosses it. The secretary sees it and he's like, whatever. And the niece is also sitting there. So she reads it. That's her death order. But she got the gardening catalog catalog. It's because she got the gardening catalog. And she connects it. Right. Okay. Got it now. But that's, that's you're right. I see what you mean. Like, why is it so definite? 
I think, and also I think her going to the chief inspector also yeah. red flagged her for Miss Marple. I think that combined with so she so Miss Marple could read this language of flowers letter as like this is a death order, but it didn't make sense that it would be the Secret Service guy. But it did make sense. It was in the. I think you're right. I'm not sure how we got there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's. So she that's was the other cool. person at the table. Yeah. And because okay, I got there. So, if it had been the Secret Service guy, he would have t- destroyed that letter, not the one from his cousin. Okay. Oh, but because yeah. he destroyed, and it looks super suspicious that he destroyed a letter from with a German postmark and right. couldn't answer to that. Right. So he wouldn't have destroyed a letter with a German postmark and he would in this other letter, he would have destroyed that. So that kind of ruled him out. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's why. Because the fact that he destroyed that letter was like, oh yeah, you wouldn't have done that. Yeah. That's a good point. Because it was about his personal stuff. It wasn't, he didn't realize the death was about to go down because he wouldn't have destroyed a letter from Germany. He'd he'd approved it was just his cousin love letter. Right. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And everybody could say, ooh. Well, no, they wouldn't have. They were fine with it. I want to correct myself. I don't know if there was a thing called Schwarzhund in uh, Germany, um, but Schwarz means black, and black hand is showing up in lots of places when I when I checked it out and tried to remind myself. And the Camaro is definitely a thing. Okay, so this, but the idea that there would be an organized crime, right, thing in Germany that need to at be at that time. Right, is this the story be- you're talking about, Mom? Western individualism may have roots in the medieval church's obsession obsession with incest. No. <laughs> okay. Oh yes, it is. That is a story on NPR. Yes, it is. That's the one. All right. Well, I'm going to read it. it was, it's from last November, from a year ago. But I just heard it recently. That we must have just replayed it. Will you send a copy to me? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Because I want to read it again. Because because I was in and out of the radio thing, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> what did you possibly search on google to get that well you're gonna you're gonna make fun of me but first i i searched npr consanguinity and then i searched and that didn't work because they were like you pretentious asshole and then i searched npr cousin marriage <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> <laughs> for um and we're not done we have four more to go way late my time so i was like i can hang but i cannot yeah but But, is there any last comments about no i think i think what's that i was gonna ask mom our special guest is there any last comments about themes or the stories or even just having you in general like i think that you mom i think as a woman reading these stories and how, you know, women of a certain age are portrayed and this like positive portrayal of the wisdom of women. Like, how did you, how did you find that? And like, as you compare to like, you're someone who's always really valued the wisdom of grandmothers and the wisdom of older women. Um, And how did you find the portrayal that you read in this one? Well, it's interesting how mixed it was. So on the one hand, I guess like Christy, let's, characters describe Miss Marple as wearing lace all over herself and gloves and collars or I didn't even look up all the lace meanings there were and sitting in a corner 
just knitting, knitting or whatever she was doing of, of no consequence. So there's that portrayal that she has many of her. But see, again, I think that shows your own bias because I don't think that her lace wearing and her knitting make her of no consequence. No, like, no, but I mean, that's just what she's wearing. The way that, but the way that the characters talked about her. So oh, right, that they sort of would overlook her. Yeah. So this picture of her, and then they just like, especially Raymond, for example, in that first group. Right. And then she glances up and says something brilliant. And they're like, wait a minute, we didn't even realize you were in the room. Right. And so that's what I didn't mean to focus on her appearance and their reaction to her appearance. But so she was just seen in this particular way. On the other hand, Agatha Christie has her be the brilliant one. Right. Who's observing and um, is unassuming, but knows things. And didn't need a formal education to get there. It's just from observation. Exactly. And didn't and didn't travel to get there, right? And another, and in contrast, especially in these, uh, with the smugness of the other people, except for the actual cop, right? Or, yeah, who understands that she's clicking along and getting things. Yeah, and he didn't resist, and that's interesting because in I think when you when you look at all the fiction around a private detective versus the police, and they clearly paint in in this series of stories that Sir Henry gets on board right away. And it's like, this lady knows what she's talking about. And it doesn't make him defensive. Again, he's retired. Right. So he doesn't really have an ego about it necessarily. But he he seems like secure enough that he's like, this lady. And like, like you said, Portia, he seeks her out right. for information right. for this case. Because he's like, this lady can see things that I can't see. And he doesn't have an ego about it. And so like he, instead of pushing against like, some of the stories, whether it's Prowo or Marple, there's like a police person who's like, get out of here. I know what I'm doing, right? Right. Not with that accent, because that would be all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. But there's a thing, but like he's never defensive about her wisdom. And he kind of like, he's one of the people that early on is like, wait a minute, let's see what she has to say. Because she clearly is seeing things that the rest of us are missing. Right. And he appreciates not only how she sees things, but how she processes things. And I think that's, that, yeah, that was a, a thing that I noticed in this. I hadn't read any of these before or seen any um, television formats of them. Because uh, often, like you said, she's in contrast to the police and saying, come on, what are we doing here with her? Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate your question. I hadn't really thought of Agatha Christie as exploring these points until now because the, like, was it, what's the name of the woman who read yours? Joan Hickson. Joan Hickson. You know, her portrayal of Agatha Christie is different than I see her in this. Me too. Yeah. And so I hadn't really seen her portrayed as this person who's very much in the background. She's always unassuming in those television portrayals. She's an unassuming person who, um, then sees things and processes things and figures things out. Uh, but what's the difference then that you see in the way it's written versus the what you'd seen portrayed on in the series? Um, I don't remember enough of the series to 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 know. Yeah, there's been three or four different women who played played her, um, but it seems to me that she seems like a kind of a solid person who can check things out and sees things as opposed to sitting in the corner and just knitting. 
Right. And that's what was so fascinating about her in these stories is that she seemed to have no ego in it. Like she would almost forget to give her solution, which was the only person who had the right one, but she wasn't even investing saying it until Miss, you know, Sir Henry a lot of time would prompt her and she'd be like, Oh yeah, the killer was so-and-so. And And then back to my knitting. Oh no, I missed a Luke. Right. But she didn't have an ego in pushing the fact that she had solved the problem. And I think you're right. Cause in some of the, TV portrayals that I can think of, she has more of an agenda because it's in a murder that's happening right now. Right. Right. Yeah, right. that's a good point. These are in the past. Yeah, these are more and like this, this parlor why, games in some way. Yeah, and that's why th- they would never make a movie version of these because the dinner party has an atmosphere and then each individual story has an atmosphere and that would be a nightmare to film. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. Although it would be, it would be a good series. Yeah, it would be a series as opposed to, yeah. But, it, you know, it definitely gets you a, a vision of her as a person. I was also thinking about, because I've been obsessed with age ever since we started reading her stuff, because in her first one, she had people who were in their 30s who I was like, I clearly they're in their 20s. And people, I, she had she had no idea of age. But in these, how old is Miss Marple? I don't know. She has white hair, which as we were discussing, can happen to some of us earlier than we, you know, so, you know, how old is she? I don't know. We, we know that she never married and she has white hair. Right. And I think that it was interesting because there's also just the wisdom of age because, um, you know, we see egos presented from lots of different, you know, genders, but Sir Henry doesn't have an ego and Miss Marple doesn't have an ego. And so they're the smartest people in the room and they don't need to prove it. Right. And a lot of these younger people, and by younger, we mean like, who knows, 20 through 50. Right, right. Have to be like, I know, blah, 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 blah. And, or have self-consciousness or whatever it is. But the two of them are sort of like pulled out as these, you know, wise elders. Yeah, that's a good point. But I definitely got the sense that he was younger than her. Right. Yeah, definitely that. But he And again, similar to the first one where I felt like, his maleness and his, you know, being the chief inspector of Scotland Yard gives us as the reader, like he co-signs, yes, you can think she's smart. But I think that Agatha Christie uses his conventional, you know, his his title and his position and his maleness to give her authority because he trusts her. So we do. Right. That's a really good point because using patriarchy as a yeah and considering that um okay so remind me again she was writing in the 1930s so some of the people that i have known who were born in the 1920s um have they still need to have the male uh set sense of approval Mm -hmm. and so that's a very interesting point i hadn't thought about that agatha christie's saying i gotta have sir henry Right. No, I think she, I think she definitely, yeah, she, she does that to to show because she could just have Miss Marple solve it without Sir Henry there. And she's clearly the smartest person in the room, but maybe as a reader, especially a contemporary reader, I might've felt defensive about that. The fact that Sir Henry is in conversation with her and is fine with it, then I can be fine with it. Yeah. 
So like you were saying earlier, these baby steps towards thinking that women might be of some use. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. And that there's a wisdom that, that someone, some old biddy in your, in your town might be the smartest person in the room, but you, you, you've overlooked her. Right. Right. Without any additional training, without traveling the world, like you said, Portia, she had a small world, but she's just a smart, observant person. And then that gets us to the uh, the actress who was a lovely but not very brilliant. I, I don't remember how she was described in, 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 at one of the dinner parties. Which was confusing because her name was Jane. And I was like, in the audiobook, I was like, wait, what? Right. And I realized that she was a different Jane. Right. And so <laughs> she was a young, beautiful Jane, not right. Jane Marple. There was the artist, and so I was thinking that she definitely decided to have Miss Marple uh, be smart enough to deal with the real world. But what about these other women in her writing? Right. So Mrs. Bantry, yeah, we didn't really discuss the actress yet because she hasn't, you know. But there's another actress who's apparently a great actress and very beautiful, but very very dumb. Which this is a running theme, right, Amanda? Having dumb actresses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. we have definitely come into that before and who was the woman that was standing with the the in the uh a start date thing what was her role diana oh, diana she was just in that one of the stories no she i was, know but what was she she, she was an actress she was an actress too, but i don't think she artist. was supposed to be dumb right so it's that's interesting that she's actually making the contrast between these women and miss marple well yeah yeah and because I guess- all women could be thoughtful well yeah and in in this one it's who because often we assume that writers write and someone in the story is themselves and i don't know who is representing agatha christie in the Poirot stories because is she hastings is she see you say that i don't think she's hastings because she's so mean to hastings like there's no way you could put yourself in hastings shoes because hastings is dumb she also (laughs) hates Poirot, and you know like we know this because she, you know, like he got popular and later she's like, oh my God, I can't believe I still have to keep writing about this guy. <laughs> um, so like, who is she? And then in these, is she Miss Marple? Because she was in her late thirties, early forties when she wrote these. Um, so but I don't know if she has to be any of them. Like I, I could imagine her writing this as like, this is my, my wife's grandmother that, you know, that's true. She could have just been imagining her grandmother. Um, and again, like you said, mom, she's not writing a feminist thing where all the women are great because even in the previous story that we we already talked about, Portia, the previous Miss Marple, all the other old biddies in town are old biddies who are gossiping for no reason. She's the right. only one with anything good to say. The rest of them are being what you would stereotype them to be. Right. Like busy bodies without a purpose. Right, right. So, so it's sort of, it, it does sort of say that like, and that's the nice thing about when we get out of stereotypes to say like, someone who seems very the same as someone else is not can be very complexly different and and that's why you know if you if you apply miss marple's framework it's not the fact that the person is the same age or the same type it's something about their personality or their energy or something versus the fact that they're an old lady or a person of you know this ethnicity or that ethnicity or whatever it is right right it has more to do with i see this type of person i see this scenario Right. Versus grouping people by men and women and race and things like that. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we've never imagined Miss Marple as a young woman. And that would be an interesting question. Like, was she always this? Fan fiction. Write it, Portia. 
That's your next project. <laughs> young Miss Marple. Young Jane. What's going what, on there? She's dancing with people and they're wearing their daggers. It's getting in the way of her slow dancing. What's going on right. there? The prequel. <laughs> yeah, so what, yeah, what is young Miss Marple like? You know, because she never got married. Um, but she danced with a guy danced. with daggers. Right. Right. So what is she like? And was she only able to make these parallels after a certain age right like yeah would, would it take 50 years in her village or was she always kind of brilliant like this so yeah. they had dancing in her village i did not know that <laughs> well right yeah. and dancing close enough that the daggers are getting in the way that's, that's some right. close dancing that's not, you know <laughs> those are not that's not extended elbow dancing there no. right no it's not i'm some some dirty dancing after some secret sewing right <laughs> well this is well delightful. thank you to thank our you delightful me. guest star pam for joining us thank it's you. been nice to have you and thank you for being so good at pulling the quotes out of the book right right <laughs> that was really helpful thank you so we'll have to finish the rest of the stories on another which means uh, we're we have to catch up on a bunch but yeah so, uh, but uh, yeah, so this has been another episode of Praro Pod, which we hardly mentioned Praro at all because, yeah. Um, but uh, well, he's not in this one. Right. It's not his pod today. It's Ms. Marple's pod. Yep. Yep. So, um, Marple Pod. That doesn't quite go as well. Let's see. That's yeah. why we didn't name it that. So, um, coming up next. Oh, yeah. What is the next story? So, we have to let our. our our dozens of listeners know what book to read next so they can keep up with us right our dozens of listeners why can't i scroll down please delete the, uh, please edit this part out where i can't scroll. <laughs> <laughs> that and the swedes being nazis i gotta edit that out too <laughs> okay so, uh, yeah, there you go. um lord lord edgeware dies um okay so our next book is gonna be say it again Lord Edgeware dies. It's Poirot, and there is a TV version of this where um, one of the main characters is played by Faye Dunaway. Wow, Ooh, fun! It was it's filmed in the eighties, and it's from nineteen thirty-three. Yeah, Lord Edgeware dies. Lord Edgeware dies, and so yeah, you can look up the Faye Dunaway, and then um, Albert Finney plays Poirot. Oh, yes, so. For our, for our dozens of fans, please look that up and then we'll talk about the actual mystery. <laughs> Thank All right. you so much for inviting me to participate. This is so much fun. Thank All you. Right. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night.